What's up everybody, welcome to Anime Baby, this is your host, Mikey, and I won't ever lose my way, and join with me as always is... Anime Club President, Ryan. <laughs> and welcome to Summer of Trigger. Trigger. A brand new summer series, because last year we did Summer of Heroes, in which we covered seasons 2 through 3 of My Hero Academia, as well as the first movie. This year, we will be covering four shows and a movie from one of my personal favorite anime studios in recent memory, Studio Trigger. The phoenix that rose from the ashes of Gainax. Good old Trigger. <laughs> and if you want to know what we'll be talking about, uh, please check out the trailer I posted to the Anime Baby Twitter, as uh, we have quite the variety this summer, you know, all the highs, lows, and creamy middles that Studio Trigger has brought us since uh, their inception. And yet you didn't include Ninja Slayer. Nah, nah, maybe next time. Maybe next time. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't do, don't do Ninja Slayer. We'll have, we, we, it would be a very short podcast. I, yeah, though it would probably be just me actually defending Ninja Slayer because I feel like I'm the only person who actually kind of digs it. <laughs> uh, well, it's interesting because we also didn't choose uh, Space, Space Patrol Luluco. Yeah, that that would also be a nice one. There's also uh, Keysniver, which I hear is good, but I haven't seen it yet. And also, there's, of course, the newest Studio Trigger show that came out this year, BNA, but I still have yet to see that. Uh, yeah, that one I don't think has a... Does that one have an official release yet? Uh, it's, uh, should be coming to Netflix soon. Yeah, something like that. Nah, but we still got a good selection, though, for, uh, this year. Oh, yeah. But, uh, before we get all into that, first things first is a little bit of the background on Studio Trigger itself, and a man by the name of Hiroyuki Imaishi. As it all began in 1995 when a young Hiroyuki Imaishi, who was in his early to mid-twenties at the time, started his animation career with Studio Gainax as a key animator on a little show, you may have heard of it, called Neon Genesis Evangelion. And after that, the rest was pretty much history as he would go on to have a very big career in the world of anime, in and out of Studio Gainax as he worked uh, on the original Fooly Cooly as a storyboarder, animation director, he did key animations, he also, uh, he was the one who did those famous, uh, manga scenes in the show where the animation shifted the manga style. That was, that was all him. Yeah, he's had, uh, had quite the career, that man. 
Yep, he also did uh, key animation for for a bunch of uh, Lupin the Third specials, the rebuild of Evangelion movies, and also openings for shows like uh, the original Helsing and even Ojama Joe Doremi or Magical Do- Doremi as we call it here in the West, just to name a few. <laughs> Infinite, infinitely better than Ava. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. And uh, he even did the ending for uh, Paradise Kiss, you know, the one with uh, the Franz Ferdinand song. Oh, yeah. This guy This guy has brought us some fantastic content. Yeah, with that one, you can tell that it's him just by looking at it. Yeah. So in 2004, Imaishi would work with Production IG to direct his first ever anime, Deadlies, which is a one-hour film. Never seen it, but I heard it's good. And in 2007, he would direct his first ever anime series with Gainax, that of course being the amazing, the incredible, the groundbreaking, the anime that would pierce the heavens with its drill, Gurren Lagann. And all of you should know this by now, it's one of the greatest animes of all time. A whole lot of people these days talk about it. Oh yeah, and then three years later, he would direct his second show for Gainax, the raunchy and randy goodness that is painting and stocking with Garter Belt. <laughs> Yeah, the little show that uh, he kind of got the idea from watching a uh, drawn together drunk off his ass here in the states. And that's the that's the one show that I, I know nobody talks about, but like everyone like has like seen. <laughs> <laughs> Don't. <laughs> uh, it's, it's that good one. It's that good one. It is. And this would turn out to be his last series with Gynex, as the following year he would leave the studio. And looking back, this would be a move that Gynax hasn't really recovered from, as Panty and Stocking is arguably Gynax's last great series, because everything after that has been a whole lot of nothing. Did they just, like, change up their corporate culture or something? I think it's just everyone who helped make Gynax what it was just left, and then they were just left with, like... Yeah, like, quite a few just, like, moved on from the company, you know? Mm Mm-hmm, and they were just all left with uh, newbies who weren't a part of those big projects that made, uh, that put Studio Gynax on the map, so they were just kind of... It was kind of left with an identity crisis. And they never really recovered. <laughs> no, like, uh, you, you can go online, look at everything past Panty and Stocking, and it's just a big dip. Yeah, no, it's, it's really just, it's just a big fat goose egg, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wouldn't be, if, if you asked, like, a new anime fan these days, like, who was, like, what do you, what's your favorite Gynax work? I wouldn't be surprised if they said, Gynax who? Yeah, what the hell's a Gynax? I know. Well, like you look at a sh- you know you look at a series like uh like Kill a Kill or something, and you would immediately think like Gynax. No, Trigger, Trigger. Then again, that really does speak to like just how much Trigger uh, again is just like that is just Gynax risen from the ashes. Right. And it's like it didn't really help that when Imaishi left, he brought in uh, a large portion of the staff that worked on Gurren Logan along with him. So yeah, Gynax was just left with like nobody. <laughs> I laugh. I laugh, but like honestly, it, it is kind of sad to see like such a giant just just absolutely disappear and like no fanfare whatsoever. No, like not even like a final crappy work to go out on. Just whoosh, just out the window. I wonder if you can count uh, Madaka Box as their final crappy work because that's not that great. Come on, no, you got to go out with like a big bang of a shitty work <laughs> if you want to like really be remembered for that. They weren't even remembered for that. Like one final like really crappy work you know like the room of anime or anything no they didn't even go for something like that you gotta be miserably bad yeah you gotta be like memorably bad but nope just a wet fart of a death (laughs) 
And so, in August of 2011, Hiroyuki Imaishi and Masahiko Otsuko, one of the producers from Gainax he brought along, founded Studio Trigger. With this new studio, their goal was to be a successor to Gainax and create anime that carries the influence and style of Gurren Lagann. Take uh, what made that series a big success and apply it to other original works. It turns out it's really easy to. It turns out it's really easy if you just, like, you know, give people the proper budgeting and just uh, let them do whatever the hell they want. Yeah, they can put out a banger, just like they can put out another banger, just like Gurren Lagann. Yeah, it's just like, why can't other studios see, seem to uh, think this way, too? I know, and they proved yet again when they put out Promare. So, Trigger would start off small by uh, producing online shorts like uh, Inferno Cop and working on openings to video games like Project X-Zone. But in March of 2013, they would make their name known by participating in Anime Mirai, which is an uh, annual project where studios create create, uh, shorts funded by the Young Animator Training Project. And the short film Trigger brought to the table was Little Witch Academia, and that short basically put Studio Trigger on the map. More on that next time. Ooh, I even, like, remember that, like, moment at the time, too, when I saw that. Like, when I just read the news about Trigger getting formed, all made up of, like, former Gynax people, and then Little Witch Academia dropped. Uh, it was just, like, it was such a glorious time. Yeah, I remember, like, uh, when that happened, you uh, texted me about that. I saw this, and I'm just like, this is this is the start of a beautiful new animation studio. So were we right? Were we right? Oh, yeah. And later that same year in October, Studio Trigger would release its first ever anime series. And the first show we will be covering on Summer and Trigger, I am, of course, referring to Kill a Kill. Of course, if you're going to start anywhere, you gotta start with this one. Yeah, you know, you never forget your first Studio Trigger series. Yeah. So, directed by Hiroyuki Imaishi and written by Kazuki Nakashima, a.k.a. the duo that brought us Gurren Lagann. So, we know this is in good hands, and we know that they're going all out for this uh, first outing into an anime series world. Well, like, I mean, for, for crying out loud, you watch the series, and like, you, I, like, I wouldn't be surprised if they just straight up said, like, this, this, this anime takes place in the Gurren Lagann universe as, like, a prequel or some shit. Like, because it is, it is, like... Like, the style is almost dead on exactly that original series, you know? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's just, its fingerprints are all over it. Like, they they made no secret of the fact that, like, this is pretty much, like, the spiritual successor (laughs) to Gurren Lagann. They were just like, we're gonna do this exact same style that, like, we all, like, built up and became so well-known for, for Gainax, and we don't give a flying fuck who thinks what anyone thinks of it. Yeah, we're Studio Trigger. We'll do whatever the hell we want, and you are gonna like it. And so, it premiered on October 4th, 2013, and ran until March 28th, 2014. And I remember when this came out, and how big of an event it was, as everyone was so hyped for it. I remember, like, uh, just scrolling through the computer that day on either Twitter or Tumblr, and just being, seeing GIFs and screenshots of this, and everyone just marking out, going, Oh my god, this is the new Gurren Lagann. This is gonna be, this is gonna be amazing. You weren't wrong. <laughs> And also, uh, one thing I just noticed is that uh, this is now technically the oldest anime we covered here because, uh, you know, this came out in 2013 and, previ- and the previous record holder for oldest anime we've covered was uh, My Hero Academia Season 1, which came out April 2016. Just wait, because the, in the future, based on some of my recommend- one of my recommendations, we might end up breaking that record again. <laughs> oh yeah, we're probably going to go older. <laughs> So here in the States, the series was licensed by Aniplex and simulcasted on Crunchyroll. And I remember I got a free weekend of Crunchyroll at the same time uh, this premiered. To wa- and I watched the premiere and I was just like, oh, this is amazing. But unfortunately, I wasn't able to keep up with it 
afterwards because uh, at the time I hadn't gotten into the groove that I am in now of following simulcasts. And also, I was just uh, too cheap to actually pay for uh, Crunchyroll all the time. It's considered I kept up with it pretty decently, all things considered. Yeah, I, I had to wait until uh, later that summer when it was all on Netflix and uh, borrow my family's Netflix account to watch all of it. And I pretty much binged it in a weekend. And uh, as you all soon know, I absolutely fucking loved it. Oh, yeah, absolute blast. In fact, I think I do actually remember that I was actually watching ahead of you at the time. <laughs> Yeah, you watched the head of me, and then like I was uh, texting you about it, going all like, "Oh my god, this happened! Ah, oh, this happened!" Oh my and so, in late 2014, the series would start to receive an English dub produced by Bang Zoom Entertainment and sold at four to five episodes at a time. Thank you, Anaplex. Yes, thank you. But if you didn't want to spend an arm and a leg to see the dub, people still got a chance to watch it thanks to Toonami as they aired it from February 8th, 2015 to August 2nd, 2015. And I believe that was pretty much most fans' uh, introduction to Kill a Kill was the Toonami broadcast. First, was that the first, was that where the dub was first shown now? Yep. Mm, okay. I, I, I've been losing track lately of like where these dubs like first premiere. <laughs> Yeah, this was like uh, before the dub was uh, widely ava- available on like uh, Netflix and uh, Crunchyroll as it is now. Because like back then, you either had to buy the DVD or you had to uh, wait for new episodes on Toonami every week. Uh, always nice to have that dub cloud for Toonami. Toonami is the great place for dub premieres. And this dub is directed by Alex Von David, who also wrote the adaptive scripts. And so, with all that out of the way, Summer of Trigger kicks off with Kill a Kill. So without further ado... Let's start the show. So first things first, let's talk about the opening and the ending. The opening is Sirius by Air Aoi, and the ending is Gomene Iko Jai Iran Rena, I hope I pronounced that right, by Miku Sawai. So what do you think of the opening and ending here? Opening is just about what I would expect from a trigger anime. It inspires visions of a larger-than-life adventure, you know. <laughs> so uh, ending, uh, ending goes way more mellow than I would expect, though. Yeah, like, uh, the opening is wild and, like, probably one of my favorite openings in anime. And, like, uh, 
ending just a pretty chill ending but still very very good and i do i love the visuals especially for the first opening it's just it really sells you on the show and just sells you on like the cast the characters and like the kind of action you're going to be seeing with this and also the song itself is just really really great yeah it pumps you up like sadly though uh and I, like, I will try not to compare it as compare the series much to Gurren Lagann, but one thing I at least will drop is just like the opening still doesn't hit as hard as like Gurren Lagann's original. Oh yeah, nothing can really beat uh, you know Shoko Nakagawa just belting it out with that first Gurren opening. You know, or you know what like kills it for me is like that is like that mecha sound effect they add in, like the, in like the first in like the opening throughout Gurren Lagann. Oh, gives me goosebumps every time. Oh yeah, that friggin' blah kind of noise <laughs> yeah yeah it's kind of hard to describe but oh it gets my blood pumping yeah the, the kind of drill noise no but this kill a kill does it just right though just just the right one to get you pumped up shows you off just the right visuals that are gonna make you fall in love oh yeah definitely so starting off with this first introductory arc we kick off with a little history lesson about fascism oh boy <laughs> Well, this is also the first. This is also the first introduction to uh, one of the facets that we're going to see in Kill a Kill, and that's that uh, it's not subtle very much at all. No <laughs> subtlety for the most. Well, no, it does have it does have some subtleties to the series, but not many. <laughs> <laughs> it wears a lot of its a lot of its influences on its sleeve. Oh yeah. But yeah, uh, 2013, much uh, different time in that we thought uh, something like this was just simply a history lesson, a thing of the past, and... Uh, uh, so uh, it's a little different. It's a little different. Time makes fools of us all. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we don't just get a history lesson, but we also see a bit of it in action, as we are welcomed to Hanoji Academy, a high school that sits atop a large, almost mountain-like hill looming over the city of Hono Town. This school is run by its fearsome and malevolent student council, led by its student council president, Satsuki Kiryuin, played here by Carrie Karanen. Stepping forward with her trademark heel click, which we'll see a lot of it throughout the series, she stands above all those beneath her, literally and figuratively, and says to the denizens below, Fear is freedom! Subjugation is liberation! Contradiction is truth! These are the facts of this world, and you will all surrender to them! You pigs in human clothing! How dare you? How dare you gloss over Iragamaguri, though, the disciplinary committee, <laughs> the leader of the disciplinary committee, who just does like like one of the most gynaxing things and just like stretches himself, this mountain of a man, into this classroom as he as he dishes out the discipline on a young man who thought he could steal a two, who thought he could steal a one star Goku uniform. Yeah, we see what happens when uh, those who step out of line, because, yeah, this kid tries to steal a uniform, and he just gets absolutely battered in a vulgar display of power here by the, by this monster of a student. <laughs> and as we pan down through the city, getting a nice view of the setting, we are then introduced to our lead character and new transfer student to Hanoji Academy. This is Ryoko Matoi, played here by Erica Mendez. And this is how... The series opens up, and I love it. In a span of a few minutes, we already establish the world of Kill a Kill, some of its characters, and we just get a taste of the insanity to come. And also, the VAs are perfect as uh, Carrie Karen and Erica Mendez just nail their roles, and we'll soon see this applies to the rest of the cast here. 
Carrie. Well, Carrie, I hadn't really heard um, too much up to this point, I don't believe. I don't know. What were the most prominent works she did beforehand? I know she did, of course, like Berserk, but like what else was there? Uh, I believe uh, some of her earlier roles was before this was that uh, she worked a bit with uh, four kids. I believe she was like, uh, want to say she worked on stuff like Yu-Gi-Oh! and uh, Pokemon and a lot of the other four kids dubs at the time. Good old four kids. <laughs> and uh, all, uh, one of her other big famous roles before uh, Kill a Kill was that she was in uh, Kappa Mikey as the, uh, the blue-haired girl uh, Mitsuki. That. Yep. I uh, yes. Actually, I find that funny that like she uh, participated in one uh, foreign-made anime, and then years later would participate in another uh, foreign-made anime in France. Yep. <laughs> I love the way that kind of like you know, you know, it's like a circle. It just like twists. You know, it, it, like everything comes back around for her. <laughs> yeah. Now she's just uh, whamming us as uh, Alia and Miraculous Ladybug. Yeah. Don't ever leave. Mm-hmm. And also for uh, Erica Mendez, like, uh, she had some roles before uh, Kill a Kill, but I believe uh, Ryoko was the role that really put her on the map and really showed people, like, oh... She, like, blew up right here. Yeah, like, this is where everyone, like, started to realize, oh, she's she's gonna be... She's something. She's gonna be awesome. I mean, it helps when, like, you've got an anime as big as this, you know? Like, yeah, if you get, like, the star role, then, yeah, it's gonna shoot you up either way. And also, like, a character like Ryoko, which allows her to, like, really, really show off her acting chops here. Yes, yes. A character like Ruko who expresses lots of anger and uh, requires lots of screaming on the part of the actress. <laughs> Erica Mendez does a fine job. I feel like this is really where uh, she got... Um, I think this was the role that really showed the world that she really had like probably one of the best... I guess you, I guess you could call it like tomboyish voices in anime. That could, like, switch, that could switch either way, you know. Although, usually with those types of voices, it, it's like the types of voices that fit well either as, like, young boys or, like, tomboyish girls, you know? Oh, yeah, definitely. And, yeah, she pulls both off with stunning color. And also one thing I want to bring up is that uh, the animation, oh, my God, the, the animation leaves an amazing first impression in this opening scene. Like, God, is it just, like, this is just a snippet, too. This is just a small taste a, and tasty little appetizer for uh, what you will see in the series. Yeah, like, the one the one shot I really love in this opening scene is where, like, uh, the student who stole the uniform is, like, running down the stairs, and anytime he passes by a window, you see uh, Gamagori just, like, fly past the window, and then, like, runs away, fly past the window, <laughs> and it's just, and then he's, like, right at the front door as he opens it. It's it's amazing. In fact, actually, I, I, it does actually limit me somewhat um, during the course of this summer that we're going to be giving to listeners. That we won't be able to, that through a podcast, we cannot show images of any kind. Because honestly, I don't think any of our words are really going to do justice to the kind of artwork that Trigger really pushes out. Uh, makes me, it makes me a little sad, you know? You know, if only we were a video podcast, but uh, I don't have, the, don't have the wherewithal to actually cut this to video. <laughs> or, to, or the patience to deal with uh, copyright claims. <laughs> That too. So uh, one thing I want to bring up is uh, if you're wondering where the basis of Kill a Kill's plot comes from, it uh, comes from an observation made by Ima Ishii where he noticed how the uh, pronunciation of the word uh, fascio, which is the base word for fascism, is like the pronunciation of the word fashion. And he also made a similar observation like how the uh, Japanese words for school uniform and conquest are pronounced the same, seifuku, and how kiru can either mean kill, to cut, or to wear. 
And he just took all that and pretty much made a series out of these uh, little observations here. For, <laughs> that sounds like the weirdest thing ever, but I know that there have been like works out there that have been inspired by like even like even more disconnected <laughs> ideas. Like for instance, I think I saw uh, an interview with the creator of Shokugeki no Soma uh, Food Wars, and I think he uh, I think he was just at the time. Um, the, the mangaka of that series was just looking for a project at the time, and he just went to his editors, and his editors and his editors were just like, uh, "So we got this idea where um, uh, for this manga where people uh, they eat they they eat delicious food, and then their uh, clothing uh, bursts off due to how delicious the food is." And he was all like, "I can do it," <laughs> and that's how that's how Food Wars got started. That's that's that is actually that is the true story of how Food Wars got started. <laughs> oh my god! Despite that enthusiasm I showed, uh, rest assured I will not be reviewing <laughs> Food Wars. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I guess I'm gonna have to find another co-host for that one. <laughs> <laughs> hey, find a friend who's maybe a chef or something. Maybe they can give some good commentary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, during her first day at school, Ryuko meets a girl who, who will become one of the greatest best friends in anime, introducing uh, Mako Mankan Shoku, played here by Christine Cabanas. You made a mistake I, You made a mistake there, my friend, because I think you meant to say uh, the bestest friend in all of anime of all time. Oh, there you go. I mean, there's, there's, really, no, there's really no contest, really. Mako is the bestest bestie of anime. She is. She just comes in and just endears you to her with just her sweetness and also just being the most hyper anime character in the history of animation. I mean, yeah, the animators just, the animators clearly just have like too much fun with her, uh, especially with the fact that uh, uh, in certain segments of uh, Kill a Kill, uh, they will also tone, they will also just like pare back the animation to just like really quick segments or something. Like it's it's not any, it's not like, you know, award-winning animation, but they do it to amp up the humor, and they use it so damn effectively with Mako and her, and like it with during various segments of the series. Yeah, like you can have scenes where she just flies at the screen towards Ryuko. Ryuko catches her and just basically twirls her around like she were a cardboard cutout. And then, like when she sets her down, she just retains the same happy expression and just stands there stiff as a board. It's just so funny every time. They're just clearly like sliding animation cells like very cheaply and stuff but like it's used for like like it's right it's correctly used during like comedic segments and it, they they use it quite effectively like there's some like there's some like um animations in the series that almost reminded me of like uh <laughs> almost reminded me of like some segments from like Annie and stalking or uh even like ninja slayer to some extent <laughs> where like they will just intentionally cheap out on the animation for comedic effect God, Tr Trigger is, like, so good at that. I swear. Oh, yeah, and also I want to talk about Mako's voice actor, uh, Christine Cabanos, and how she nails this role as much as uh, Erica Mendez and uh, Carrie Karen nail their roles. But Christine, oh, my God, she just comes in with so much energy. Like, you'd think she just, like, drank, like, 10 five-hour energies before recording. It might be sooner sometime what she actually did drink the segments because jesus christ how do you keep up the energy like that in a single session recording multiple sessions too as that character oh yeah for sure jesus christ 
Oh, but uh, meanwhile, let's get acquainted with Lady Satsuki's student council, specifically her four elites. Roll call. Disciplinary committee chair and Lady Satsuki's problem solver, Iragamagori, played here by Patrick Seitz. Athletics club chair and kendo specialist, Uzu Sanagayama, played here by Grant George. Honoji Academy's information and strategy committee chair and resident hack, Kyoka Inamuta, played here by Steve Cannon. And last and certainly not least, the non-athletic club chair, leader of the school's marching band, and someone who immediately puts her name in the best girl conversation, Nonan Jacuzare, played here by Sarah Ann Williams. God dang, I love the Elite Four. Just fine cast of characters we've uh, got this far. Though uh, we still will need to get to, get into detail later. So what makes them the uh, best, of, best of all? Oh yeah, They'll, they will show us what they're made of. Anyway, what's Ryuka's purpose for transferring to Honoji Academy? She wants some one-on-one time with Lady Satsuki as she feels she may know who's responsible for her father's murder. As uh, that's the biggest thing she's uh, looking towards in uh, Konoji Academy here and throughout the rest of the series. The only clue Ryuko has is her main weapon of choice, the scissor blade. She believes that whoever has the other half of this giant pair of scissors is the one who killed her dad and she believes Satsuki knows who. Yes, the scissor angle as we've uh, heard before. Yep, and also relates back to the whole observation to cut Kidu, so why not use a giant pair of scissors as your main weapon in the series? However, her attempts at getting info are thwarted by Takaharu Fukuroda, the boxing club captain, as his as with the power of his two-scarred Goku uniform, he sends Ryuko packing. And uh, let's talk here about the Goku uniforms as Hinoji Academy students are divided into different categories based on things like grades, social standing, what have you. And these categories are no star, one star, two star, and three star. And the higher ranking you have, the more power your Goku uniform has, as it has the ability to bring out your uh, innermost strength and abilities. Well, there is also one angle that Sasuke brings up as well, which is the uh, fact that uh, school uniforms, um, uh, school uniforms in Japan, have often been modeled after military uh, wear and stuff. So that's again where we see the angle where it's like. Ah, uh, military guard, fascism, army, warriors, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, after getting beat, Ryuko stops by her destroyed home as she falls into the basement, and there she finds a living sailor uniform. Said uniform wants to be worn and tries to force itself onto Ryuko in a scene that's more uncomfortable now than ever. Kind of one of the few blemishes of the show here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But uh, this uniform is special, as like the Goku uniforms, this uh, gives Ryuko special abilities and makes her strong enough to defeat Fukuroda in a rematch. And it also allows her to transform into her battle attire, which is like sh- which is like she's wearing nothing at all, nothing at all, nothing at all, nothing at all. <laughs> Let's uh, talk about this outfit because it's ridiculous, but I feel it's more done in a tongue-in-cheek way, like. They know how insane this is and just how unbelievable it is, but they're kind of presenting it more in a humorous way than in, than, than a sexy way. Well, no, I would disagree a little bit. I think this is a little one of those, like, I think it, I think it is more of a uh, have your cake and eat it too kind of way where, on, um, you know, they can play kind of both ways, but it, it works fine enough both ways, I suppose. Yeah, but also I feel like there are another angle they're going with it is that... Uh, you know, we the viewers are supposed to feel embarrassed for her. We're supposed to get that secondhand embarrassment, so we can kind of like uh, feel how she's feeling at the moment wearing this thing, wearing this uh, costume. And also, uh, we eventually find out that there is a kayfabe explanation as to why it's so skimpy. But uh, so yeah, hang on to that. The series progresses, you know, and as they show more, um, show more with the costume, with the 
concussion can do. Uh, it goes more into the realms of fucking cool. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's 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 one of those things you just kind of have to like get like get through and like kind of like get over a little bit and stuff. Um, I mean, it's one of those things I still have trouble when rewatching it, like getting over a little bit because I'm just like uh, you're you're kind of having trying to have it both ways, trigger. But uh, you know, the, the cool factor at least comes through. Oh yeah, and also for at least for me, it's one of those things where like after a while, I just kind of get used to it and like i don't even realize it i'm just i'm just watching the series i'm just like oh this action scene's pretty great and then i'm just like oh yeah rika's boobs are hanging out i know well well by the end of the series you're so uh you're so um what's the word uh inundated to it that like you, you just you just stop caring at a certain point yeah <laughs> you just become immune to it oh yeah and also uh one thing i want to bring up is uh with this fight here is uh, the song that plays during the fight as it's a song that we will be hearing a lot of throughout the series. The song called Before My Body Is Dry, or as everyone calls it, Don't lose your way in your mind. We you can't miss it because it plays everywhere in the series. It plays <laughs> everywhere. You get a vocal version, you get like a orchestral version, you get like a quick little uh, guitar remix version of it. It's like, it's pretty much the main theme of the show here. I mean, you, you hear it as much as in, like, as, like, any other, like, theme or, like, motif in any kind of, like, shonen anime, really. Yeah, and I love this song. It's a, it's a banger. Oh, yeah, it is. Like, it's always played at just the right moment. And also, this song kind of started a bit of a internet meme around the time where, like, uh, you know, years beforehand, we had the whole Guile's theme goes with everything. But now, when Kill a Kill came out, it's Don't Lose Your Way goes with everything. And we just have, like, scenes where they just splice in the music at just the right time to make it even more awesome. For for a brief period, yeah, it was a meme, as I recall. Oh yeah, I think my favorite version of it is like uh, one from a couple years ago when uh, you know Minnesota Vikings did the uh, Minneapolis miracle where they uh, won a playoff game against the New Orleans Saints with a walk off touchdown and like right as uh, Case Keenum threw a big touchdown to Stefan Diggs, they played the song "Don't Lose Your Way" and it just fits perfectly. Like at least for me as a Vikings fan, just going like, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. There you go. <laughs> Perfect moment. And so after her win, Ryoko gets on the mic and cuts a promo on Lady Satsuki, vowing to find out who killed her dad. And this is pretty much the opening to Kill a Kill. Just like, what a good way to set up this series, set up your overall plot, and just introduce you to this wild world we're going to be living in for at least 25 episodes. And what a banger of an opening. Yep. And so after this, Ryoko passes out and Mako takes her back to her house so she can recover. And here we are introduced to Mako's family. Mako's dad and local back alley doctor Barzo Mankanshok, played here by Michael Sorek. Her mom, that's got it going on, Sukiyo Mankanshok, played here by Erica Harlicker. Her little brother and local wiener kid, Matsuro Mankanshok, played by Lindsay Eaton. And the family dog, Guts, played here by Derek Stephen Prince. Oh, we, after all, Ryuko, as we will learn, uh, isn't left with much in this world, so it's good to see her get a little bit of family. Yeah, and uh, I love Mako's family. They kind of give a... Uh, they kind of give me a lot of uh, 90s sitcom family vibes here, you know. I just I just feel like I could watch these characters in a show with the studio audience just laughing at their uh, weekly escapades. I'm just some legitimately good humor that I love seeing from them. Oh, yeah. Like, you even hear stories about, like, uh, Mako's dad, his job as a back alley doctor, and how he says stuff like, Oh, yeah, I've killed more patients than I've saved, but you know you know what they say? The dead ones can't sue you. Am I right or am I right? Yes. Well, well, some good humor. I mean, like, all, all the times where, like, uh, the son and dad after Ryuko, uh, yeah, d- 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 didn't really make me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, of course I'm gonna have that. 
I mean, that's 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 again like where I say like with moments like that, well, the series does still like uh, resort to that type of humor that like that I think over time we've just people have just gotten had like a lot less patience for an anime, you know. Um, but um, you know, thankfully over the course of the series, you, you know, again like they they kind of drop that later on. Oh yeah, and also like. Uh... You know, despite their eccentricities, uh, Ryuko go- grows to really care about this family and almost season like as like you know just a, a family that she never really had growing up because she uh, just she just kind of grew up as a lonely kid. So anyway, let's get some more info on Ryuko's uniform, which is called a kamui that she decides to name Senkets, which means fresh blood. And Senkets here is played by David Vincent. You know what's weird hearing his voice here? Whenever I hear it, up, I always expect some kind of narration over JoJo's. <laughs> oh yeah, because he's the JoJo narrator. <laughs> it's it's a bit of because it's been a long time since I've watched uh, Kill a Kill, and uh, I've watched more JoJo's than I've rewatched Kill a Kill, so <laughs> it's a bit of whiplash in my case. Oh yeah, I can imagine a scene where like uh, Senkets is just talking to Ryuko, and he goes, "Ryuko, let me tell you about how Jotaro Kujo and the Stardust Crusaders went to hunt Dio in in the land of Egypt." Like he's just gonna regale them with like the entire plot of JoJo. Let me tell you about the time when uh, the Stardust Crusaders ran into o- the Oingo Boingo brothers and how wacky that got. And did you ever hear the story about the golden-haired twink from, t- from Italy? <laughs> <laughs> uh, David Vincent, man. Uh, yeah, we, uh, we actually, yeah, we actually saw him live once, didn't we? Yep, at uh, the last time we went to Anna Minneapolis back, actually back in 2014, so maybe like when we saw him, he was probably in the process of recording the show. Actually, I think he was because I think someone I think someone brought the question of what he was doing like currently, and I think he did hint to something big he was working on, and then like not long after the voice cast for Kill a Kill got announced, <laughs> we were just like, and we just looked at each other and we're like, oh, that was the big project. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we get more info about Senkets from a uh, Ryuko's homeroom teacher. Aikuro Mikisugi, played here by Matthew Mercer, and oh no, he's hot! As uh, when he takes off his glasses and slicks his hair back, he just turns into this absolute Adonis here. More sense as the series goes on, but immediately after you're just like, you know, just assaulted with this beauty of a man, you know. (laughs) You're just like, what? You're just like Ryuko, you're just like, what the fuck? You know, he does, like, that uh, thing you see in 90s teen movies where you have, like, the dorky-looking character, but as soon as you take off their glasses, they're just like, oh my god, you're all that. So, uh, we learn from him that uh, Ryuko's dad, Ishin Matoi, created Senkets and ba- and even based his design off himself, which is a nice touch, you know, because, like, you have, like, the, the eye patch, you even have, like, the uh, the tie as, like, his mustache and everything. I thought it was a really cool design. Sure with me when I saw it again. That's actually kind of clever. And we also find out the only way Senkets can activate and make Ryuko transform is by drinking her blood. However, she needs to be careful with this, as Senkets can accidentally drink too much of her blood, which can lead to her uh, passing out. And so after Ryuko uh, battles another uh, uh, Honoji club member, tennis club captain Omiko Hakadate, Mr. Mikisugi provides Ryuko with some more info about Senkets as we learn more about life fibers, which are the special materials that are used in Goku uniforms, which is what gives them their special abilities. And depending on your star ranking, your uniform may have more or less life fibers. And a Kamui like Senkets is unique in that he is made entirely out of life fibers, and only a select few can handle so many of them. 
as we see what happens when someone who can't handle that many life fibers comes into contact with them, as we see a scene with the sewing club blood by Shiro Iori, tries to make a five-star Goku uniform that's made of mostly life fibers, and the test subject end up failing because it's just proves to be too much for them. We're dealing with a universe where, like, literally, if you were if you were like a tailor, seamstress, or like just work in textiles, and period, you're 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 like a you're like you're like the you're like Wayland Smith or something. You know, you just craft mighty weapons. Yeah, you're just like an arms manufacturer. Like, you can just probably make like a whole army, which is people wearing just very nice, snappy clothes. Like the answers to everything in the series are just sewing. Period. Period. <laughs> <laughs> sewing cloth, textiles, and shit. <laughs> it's again it's 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 like food wars where like they just like, they just take like one mundane thing in the world and just make the most powerful fucking thing you can unleash upon any on anyone you know i bet like uh there are people out there who do like uh knitting and crochet as like a hobby probably look at this and go like huh wish it would like that in real life <laughs> they they should have uh kill a kill if they if, if they could only have lasted up until like the uh the big resurgence is like knitting and crocheting. They could have like made some magic with that. Oh yeah, for sure. So Ryuka specialized. She can handle wearing an outfit that's 100% life fibers, and that's why her dad left Senkets just for her. And as for why it looks like a skimpy micro bikini when transformed, eh, maybe Ryuko's dad was just into that sort of thing. Not gonna kink shame. Speaking of kinks, I should mention that during these scenes with uh, Mr. Mikisugi here, that he has a bit of a habit of uh, slowly stripping and giving a glimpse of, of his glowing nipples and crotch. Uh, it's, it, it really, it really does just, like, it, it's, it's something you just can't help but, like, laugh at first time you see it. Yeah, like, he's just sitting there casually having a conversation with Ryuko, and his shirt is just slowly unbuttoning, but it's kind of like in the cheap animation style, where it's just, like, the animation cells of his shirt are just slowly sliding off, and then you can see Ryuko just going, like, what, your clothes are coming off, dude, 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 can you cover yourself? Have you no shame? I almost want to look up on, like, my phone. When did Magic Mike become, first become a concept known to people in the world? <laughs> <laughs> we learn more about this as the show goes on, is that uh, when it comes to fan service and Kill a Kill, it just goes both ways. You know, every everyone in this show is just gonna is just gonna get it. So meanwhile, it turns out that Ryuko isn't the only one with a Kamui, as Lady Satsuki is in possession of one. It was given to her when she was a little girl by her father but it was sealed away only to be worn by her on her wedding day. Lady Satsuki doesn't plan to wait that long as her growing frustrations with seeing Ryoko wear and wield a Kamui before she could leads her to unseal her Kamui named Junkets, which means purity. You could you could argue it is a marriage to her ideal. Ah. <laughs> Satsuki's like, fuck you, dad. <laughs> I found a loophole. <laughs> Uh, but like the scene where Satsuki puts on Junkets is like it's I I really like the scene because it's much less uncomfortable than when Ryuko puts on Senkets as Satsuki is willingly wearing her Kamui, but it's also definitely really creepy as Junkets comes off as more as like it's more otherworldly compared to Senkets as the way it just clings on to Satsuki. It's like something out of Aliens. We still got a pretty awesome. Uh, we still got a pretty awesome, pretty sick ass design. Now. Oh yeah. As uh, the next day, Lady Satsuki confronts Ryuko and challenges her to a fight, and just like Ryuko, Lady Satsuki gets her own transformation sequence. And somehow her outfit makes her look like she's even more naked than Ryuko. Probably because her out her transformed outfit doesn't have a skirt, so her ass is just hanging out. Right, right. It's like a 
metaphor almost like I, I, I don't fucking know like i think they just thought it looked cool yeah it, it does look cool all things considered and also i want to bring up a fun fact here is uh carrie karen actually cosplayed satsuki in that outfit in uh the transformed june cats outfit she did that back in anime expo 2015 for a kill a kill english panel uh, <laughs> uh, uh she must have been so cool oh yeah like you can look it up just look it up on like google images and you can find it in like she went all out with it, and she actually, and she really works it. Ooh, yeah, because that's, ugh, man. Because I look at that thing, and I'm all like, it's cool, but, like, God, would that be so uncomfortable to wear in real life? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm amazed at seeing, like, cosplayers who do cosplay from this show. A fucking Borat. It's got, like, a fucking Borat, like, swimsuit thing going on the ass, you know? Yeah, it's got, like, the... It's got, like, the G-string thing going on. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's gotta, like, give you a wicked wedgie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, and also one cool thing, like when uh, Carrie cosplayed Asatsuki, she even did the uh, the speech from the first episode, complete with Patrick Seitz uh, commanding the entire room to stand at attention and salute. <laughs> okay, that's that's pretty sick. That's pretty cool. And by the way, I should mention that with all these transformation sequences and whatnot, uh, technically, uh, Kill a Kill is a magical girl anime. I mean, yeah, if you want to be specific, yeah, it's technically. Although they blissfully they blissfully uh, uh, speed through many of the transformations later in the series, unless it's, like, a new one or something, which already gives them an up on, like, some other magical girl anime, because, you know, like, in most shows, it can take up, like, a full, like, 30 seconds or, like, minute of the show. And, yeah, it, it's, if you have multiple characters doing it, too, you gotta find a way to pare that down. Oh, yeah, like, as someone who's a Sailor Moon fan, I'm just like, I love the show so much, but, man, sometimes the transformation sequences can get a little long. I'm just like, okay, let's go. We got After the hundredth time, you're like, okay, get on. Please. Yeah, <laughs> a simple flash of light or something, you know, a little sped up animation. They just, just get to the fight. Just get to the fight. When are they gonna get to the fireworks factory? <laughs> but hey, with Kill a Kill being like a, a modern day magical girl anime, I'll take this modern subversion of the magical girl genre over another dark gritty Madoka clone any day. It's, it's subversion in like italics. Yeah, because <laughs> like I, I love Kill a Kill, but I'm not like. Willing, I'm not willing to go like that far. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then we get Ryuko and Lady Satsuki's first fight, and it is one to behold, because, like, hot damn, this has some incredible action and animation, and another aspect I like is how Ashi's battering Ryuko. Satsuki's just giving out to Ryuko about how she's mastered wearing her kamui before her. It is just so cool, like, how, how she's just... You just see her just, like, walking, casually walking up the side of a building. Ryuko's trying to throw desks back at her. She's slicing through it. And, and all while she's doing this, she's just saying how she's mastered Okamawi. She feels no shame in wearing it, unlike Ryuko, who's been constantly embarrassed. And Lady Sasuke's just there saying, like, I will gladly bare my breasts and butt if it means to be if I can beat you. My next school of animation, you know, that, like, these animators come from, you know. They just they just love to work with schools and fights, work schools into fights anymore. That Panty and Stocky, because like it, it reminded me a little bit of Panty and Stocky's uh, big fight, big school fights as well. Oh yeah, with the uh, the Demon Sisters. <laughs> That's the one. Mm -hmm, yeah, I can, I can de yeah, I can definitely see that. Like, like it has a lot of the same, like, uh, same direction as that fight did. It's it's also got some of the similar uh, wicked chaos that you even see in like the opening to Black Dynamite, <laughs> <laughs> the second opening they did. Oh yeah, yep. 
Yeah, when we like uh like another thing that Studio Trigger does is like they're really good at doing that thing where like they can make buildings or locations look a lot bigger than they actually are because like characters just need to like run through all this entire stuff just to like completely destroy it and you have like mobs of characters just standing around them just to only get blown up and get flung all over the place. Love they love three sixty they love like uh, pulling the camera around like three hundred sixty degrees. They love all that good like dramatic shit to really increase the tension. And so in that, we get the secret to wearing a Kamui. You have to own it. You have to, like, just work it and just get used to it. And Mako lets Ryuko know with one of her trademark moments where she just ends up, where she just basically tells Ryuko that she just needs to stand there and get naked. And I and I want to say I love the uh, Mako's Hallelujah gimmick where just anytime you just need, you just need a little motivation from her. She just comes in and just gives you, like, this big big uh, rousing speech about how you should like stand up and fight and all that yep and then the animators just tell their people uh guys don't put too much effort in, don't put too much effort in the animation just make it funny okay that's all you gotta do make it funny this is a funny moment <laughs> just give us these like uh one or two screenshots that we can reuse throughout the entire series and just just make it goofy just have fun and uh i i will splice you in the end of this fight here because it is like, you know, it's it, this is an audio podcast and all that, but still, like, just hearing the just hearing the action, just hearing the voice work and everything, and the big song that plays during the finale of the fight, it's, it's still pretty good, but I do implore you to watch the end of this fight. Mm-hmm. Huh? Come on, Ryuko! Get naked! I know for a fact that you, yes, you are not inferior to Lady Sasuke! Your boobs are way bigger than hers! Way bigger! <laughs> I know, because I saw him! That Ryuko, my family said, she's got a great rack! We were all talking about what a slimy body you have! So perk up and stop being embarrassed! Rip your clothes off and get naked! Get... naked? What is this nonsense? Nothing about you is even remotely mature. And I am thoroughly done with you, Matoy! What? What she said isn't nonsense. It ain't nonsense at all! Do it! You got it! I finally get it now. I need to get naked. Putting on a Kamui means becoming one with you. It means you. Becoming one with me! That's what it means to master wearing you! Isn't that right, Zitkits? Yes, exactly! My fiber's synchronized! This is what you're really like, isn't it? Yes, this is our power! I didn't know I was doing it, but I was rejecting you out of embarrassment! That's why you were drinking so much blood! And the more I pulled away, the more blood you needed to get closer! That's why it's working now, right? Yes, and the blood I just drank is more than enough! Now, you are really wearing me, and I am really being worn by you! Run! Take it! Right! Here we 
Now it's gotten interesting. And so the finish for Ryuko and Sasuke's first round is great, and like all good first fights, it leaves you just satisfied enough, but still eager to want to see more. And also another nice touch I like is when uh, Sasuke does her uh, heel click thing. It's uh, This time is different as it's more she's like backing off as she does like kind of a matrix dodge here, and then when she gets back up, she's all like, huh, it's going to be interesting. <laughs> And so the conclusion of this fight sets up what's to come in the rest of this opening arc as Lady Satsuki lays down the gauntlet. Ryuko has to go through all the other clubs in the school and eventually the Elite Four before she can have another shot at Satsuki. You know, it's like a fighting game. You need to run through all the other characters before you can fight M. Bison, Goro, or Heihachi. It's like some real shonen shit, too. And also speaking of fighting games, Kill Kill actually has its own fighting game, and it's pretty fun. Yeah, it's, 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 it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> It gets the job done. It gets the job done as far as, like, anime fighting games go. Yeah, it was, it was alright. <laughs> better than the One Punch Man fighting game? <laughs> Anything's better than that. <laughs> Though, before we get to the major beef of this arc, uh, we have uh, Studio Trigger showing us the perfect way to do a low-budget filler episode with uh, the fourth episode, Dawn of a Miserable Morning. Yeah, I don't think we need to, like, uh, like spend too much time on this one, but yeah, this is just, like, the, the one purely, like, comedic episode. Yeah, I guess it's all about uh, Ryoko Mako just trying to get to school on time as it's uh, no tardies day, and if you're late, then you're expelled. But uh, the only way to get to school is that you have to go through kind of this, like, Nickelodeon game show-style obstacle course, but it's full of more dangerous and uh, death-defying traps here. It's, the, it's like the... It's the... It's that, one episode, it's that one episode of the series that epitomizes their standard of, like, uh, you know, limited animation, but high laugh, like, unlimited laughs that you can have in the series oh yeah it's like it just shows how studio trigger is just a master class in using cheap animation and cutting corners to their advantage but then again that's most of the series because uh, it turns out this series has a very tight budget compared to other anime that came out at the time and for the most part trigger is really good at hiding it and making the cheaper animation more stylistic yeah they put their they put the money right where it needs to be like this this is such a well like managed series this is gonna be such a. This must have been have been like such a well like managed series budget wise. I, I really hope uh, for the their sake those animators got paid well because God uh, overall very well very tightly run job. Oh yeah, for sure. And like uh, for uh, for that this episode in particular, it's like it's like they're just going all out with the cheap animation. They don't even try to hide it. Like there's even points where like they reuse jokes where like the joke of uh how uh. Mako's dad, her brother, and uh, the dog Guts are trying to get uh, Sankets to Ryuko, and every time they keep uh, failing because they accidentally see Ryuko, Ryuko's underwear, and they end up crashing into like an electrical pole the same exact way, while Sankets is just giving out to them, saying like, "Can't any of you know how to drive?" Uh, but yeah, like uh, at the end of the day, they make it to school, and make and we make it back to the plot as we meet a new character who is on the hunt for you for Ryuko, bounty hunters. We don't need their scum. But what we do need is, uh, we need two things in this world that you should know about. First, this man's name is Sumugu Kinagase. And second, he's played impeccably by Kaiji Tang. And, and a third thing, I wish he was used more in the series. Yeah, yeah, but uh, the times we do get to see him, he just he makes the most of his minutes. 
Well, like, yeah, he's a character that tend that I understand it, that he kind of needs to take a backseat most of the time because he's still alongside the, uh, us, our uh, resident stripper teacher in terms of like plot importance and characters, you know, but <laughs> he's got a freaking gun where he like shoots sewing needles and just tears shit up. And he's like one of the only fighters in the series that doesn't wear a goofy uniform. So yeah, I would have liked to have seen more of him. So like, I want to bring up Kaiji Tang's voice acting again because it's like, it's like Sumugu and Gearless Joe from Megalobox are like perfect examples of Kaiji having like the coolest voice ever. Mm, yeah, yeah, he, he he certainly does. He's got that voice for those kind of gruff anti-hero characters. Well, I mean, he he did eventually voice Berserk in the um, uh, 2019, yeah, 2019 Berserk anime. So yeah, perfect. Perfect chance for him. I'm sure he's having fun in that. I wouldn't know. I didn't watch that. I didn't watch that shitty anime. <laughs> <laughs> and also, there are two more things in this world that you should know about. First, Sumagu's design is based off the Marvel character Agent Venom. And second, I'm sure this two things gimmick is just Ima Ishii's way of referencing Viral from Gurren Lagann. Fuck, are you serious? His design was actually based on Agent Venom? Oh yeah, definitely based off Agent Venom. Seriously? That's a weird inspiration to take from. Yeah. It's it's mostly because there's not anything too special about like Agent Venom's like design. <laughs> it's just like what if Venom but armor? That's it. <laughs> yeah, that's basically it. But they kind of took that design and kind of worked it into like kind of his, uh, you know, kind of like Kevlar vest and like tactical gear that he wears. It, I don't know. That just like is weird to me because like completely based on based on off of like any other mercenary character out there. Like <laughs> that's not really like what Agent Venom is really known for. I don't know. Maybe the uh, the character character designer uh, Sushio kind of it must be a fan of Agent Venom. Yeah, it must have been like luck of the draw or something. Just like one day, it was just like he just got a little spark of inspiration and just that right push for uh, this character. And also, yeah, the two things gimmick that he does is like it's just straight up what Viral says to Kamina in like his uh, debut episode of Gurren Lagann. Yeah, pretty much. So, Sumagu's out for Ryoko because he wants Senkets. He feels that Senkets pos- poses a much greater threat than the Kiryuins, and while he never stated outright, it appears that he has some uh, bad history with Kamuis, but uh, later on we do get the exact reason why he, he doesn't really like the Kamuis, and also the Life Fibers in particular. There's a lot of shady story stuff around them, so understandably it can't be... Yeah, it might be some things that people are never going to be left in the dark about. But uh, him and Ryoko end up having a, like a really fun fight, you know, not as good as like the fight with Satsuki, but still really fun. Just like running around the school, you know, while she's trying a bit of a game of a uh, cat and mouse here. It's it's but again, it's like a, it's like a change of strategy, though, that I really liked in him, though, like a change of approach in how he approaches his fights that I kind of missed seeing throughout the series a little bit. I mean, not to say we don't get like good fights later on, you know, but I don't know, I guess you can only have so much awesome like series, you know, someone's someone's got to. Someone's gonna take to the bench, you know. You know, you kind of have to balance it out. You can't like just go, you know, five star fights over and over again. You kind of need a little bit of a a good, but not as good fight to kind of let you breathe a little bit more. Plot wise, he's also just straight up not as important as some of the other characters, as we'll see as well. Yeah, and uh, one thing I really like about this fight is how uh, we have uh, Nonon uh, has our marching band provide the background music for it, and they use the song. Uh, hopefully, I pronounce this right. Uh, Tris Trash Polka by Johann Strauss. That sounds lovely. That's it's, what was that? Trish Trash. <laughs> yeah, Trish Trash Polka by Johann Strauss. Sounds absolutely lovely. Absolutely lovely name for that. Oh yeah, and like uh, 
You know, like I hear the song and like uh, I, I either think of Kill a Kill or I think of uh, the one time the song was featured in a Tom and Jerry cartoon many years ago. Oh, yeah, there we go. Yeah, like uh, the episode. Of course, there's there's the classic animation. There. Yeah, it's like the episode where like uh, Tom and Jerry are living with uh, composer Johann Strauss, and anytime Johann plays the piano, Jerry would come out and dance, and then Tom would use that as a chance to come catch Jerry. But you know, hijinks ensue, and like it doesn't work. So in the end, Tom tries to learn the music of Strauss, and then he uses that to try to bring him out. But eventually, everyone sees like, ah, a cat can play the piano, and a mouse can dance. Let's have them perform in front of the uh, the entire royal court of Vienna. Fantastic stuff. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite Tom and Jerry content. Oh yeah, it's one of my favorites. And as the fight comes to a close, Sumugu has Ryoko cornered and is about to finish off Senkets until Senkets stands up to Sumugu and defends Ryoko. He grabs him by the collar and just like gets like, you know, nose to nose or nose to bow in this case, and tells him not to lay a finger on Ryoko or he'll be sorry. And while Ryoko is the only one who can actually really hear Senkets and communicate with them, Sumugu just he can understand that loud and clear. Two things in this world you should know. First, Ryuko and Senkets have an unbreakable bond and will do anything for one another. And second, Sumugu will back off for now, but if anything bad happens, he'll destroy Senkets without remorse. And I really do like this moment here. It just gets over Ryuko and Senkets' relationship and shows that Senkets is more than just a talking sailor uniform. He's an actual character with personality and feelings. Building up, as you would expect from any, any story. <laughs> <laughs> it also just builds up like with a lot of their back and forth conversations you know that helps too and they just they really just come off as uh, good buddies here and i feel something like that is more apparent in the english dub than in the japanese version in my opinion mainly, mainly because i like david vincent's performance more than uh the original japanese actor no offense to toshihiko seki who played senkets in japanese but i just kind of get more of like a i get more of a buddy vibe from david vincent more of like kind of a almost like a brother vibe was there any Quick question, I don't think I've ever asked this, but has there ever been uh, an anime where you liked the Japanese, where you thought the Japanese voice actor uh, fit the character better than the English actor? Ooh. Because I don't think I've ever asked you that question. There's definitely, there. I know there's definitely got to be some, but uh, off the top of my head, I would kind of have to say I mostly prefer, uh, in the case of uh, Melancholy of Heart, he sues me, I mostly prefer Aya Hirano to Wendy Lee. And I really like Wendy Lee, but Aya Hirano is Aya Hirano. Uh, there's, uh, I can understand that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, sometime after this fight, Ryuko learns that Mikisugi and Sumugu are actually partners, a part of a secret underground organization. Though all we know about this organization is that it's called Nudist Beach. But uh, Ryuko thinks he's just BSing her and just ignores him. Okay, okay, Nudist Beach. <laughs> nudist Beach is going to be the one who's going to help us save us all. Okay, right, dude. Okay, yeah, sure thing. Just, uh, you know, just uh, keep it in your pants, bro. It's just a whole organization of, like, just, like, middle-aged people who just, like, love just being, like, nude out in public and stuff and just getting full-body tans. <laughs> yeah, you know, just, like, the the naturalist sort of thing. Yeah, you often see them in Wisconsin, and uh, most of them kind of seem like sex perverts. Well, no, I, I, I do believe some of them genuinely just want to, like, you know, live freely and stuff, but, like, I, I admit it's, it's hard to take them seriously. It's hard to take them seriously because so many of the ones I've seen just seem a, a little out of touch. <laughs> they've always got that angle to them. They always seem like they're doing it for the wrong reasons. Or like, or like, there's there's some kind of reason you're not seeing or something. Uh, besides, uh, Ryuko has more important things to worry about than uh, a nudist beach gland here, as uh, she has a challenge from Sanagayama. 
as he doesn't want to wait for Ryuko to come to him, so he personally gets permission from Lady Satsuki to challenge her to a proper fight. And uh, around this time, we also get uh, Sanagayama in Satsuki's history, as uh, three years ago, Sanagayama was the uh, the Northern Kanto Gang Leader Alliance representative, and he led uh, 500 middle school gangsters to, com- to confront Satsuki, but then she just easily wipes the floor with him, using her uh, Conqueror's Hockey from One Piece to just knock them all up by staring at them. This is, a good mo- this is a good moment to really clarify that in the series, schools wage literal war against each other. Oh yeah, definitely, like... You- like this is how the world of Kill a Kill works here. It's like something out of like the warring periods of Japan or something. It's great. Oh yeah, definitely. Especially, especially considering um, I don't know if you know this, but when it comes to most anime, uh, over time I've kind of gotten like I've gotten a little tired of like um, whenever somebody tries to like uh, subvert the school setting in some kind of way. Uh, so, so often than not, I just get like so tired of it these days. I'm just like, just, just, just have a fucking story inside a school or something. Just like, just let it be normal or something. Like, cause it was, cause so often it doesn't like, it doesn't impress me or like really entice me as much as it does before. I don't know. Well, maybe because I'm not in like high school or anything like that before anymore. So, so maybe it is like a, like, I'm just in that like sector where it's like a growing like generational rift or something. Cause on the one hand, I really love my my hero academia and what it does with that with that and like its magic magic school and stuff. But on the other hand, I also despise an anime like uh, a certain magical index where it's like the entire city is a school, and I'm like, no, no, I'm not fucking buying it. <laughs> <laughs> or even or even uh, food wars to a certain extent, where it's like food's the most important thing in the world. I'm like, <laughs> no, you're losing me, bud. Oh yeah, sometimes like shows can really like get the school thing wrong. Like they try to do too much, but here with like Kill a Kill, it's like everything is blown up to such a high degree that it's like, okay, yeah, you're you're winning me over now. You're winning me over. Oh yeah, like Kill a Kill does it like a bit more creatively. Yeah, it's got way much. It's got way more style to support its uh, substance. That's for sure. And uh, one nice touch I like during this flashback is that we can see Gamagori, Inamuto, and Nonan are already with Satsuki, showing that Sanagayama is one of the more recent members of the elites. Like, you, you just see them in the background, and you can just go like, okay, this only happened a few years ago. So it's time to see how an elite fights as Sanagayama transforms into his three-star Goku uniform Blade Regalia, which is basically a big kendo mech suit. Yes, and everyone gets, everyone gets their transformation sequence. The Elite Four gets their transformation sequences. Fucking cool. It, this one's sweet, and also, like, uh, I like how this one is that, uh, again, fan service goes both ways, is that uh, his transformation sequence gives us a big, nice shot of his butt. Quite, and it comes to quite a thick suit as well, as it's just, like, this giant suit that just pops out kendo sticks constantly. Oh, yeah, and, like, uh, the way he fights is that he uses his fast eyes to read Ryoko's movements, as there's, like, so many openings inside the mech suit that he can just kind of look through, and then he can just read her movements based on her muscle twitches using the sort of clairvoyance here. Of course, in the end, Ryuko is able to overcome this with a very smart move as she cuts off a part of Senkats and she uses the many pieces of fabric to block Sanagama's vision. And this gives Ryuko the opening to deliver a Seni Soshits, which means life fiber loss, and that's how she usually defeats any Goku uniform wearer. Uh, she completely destroys their uniform and then absorbs the uh, single life fiber that comes out of it. Yeah, but... Uh... Yeah, almost immediately after though we uh, get a bit of an a bit of an odd spin for an episode like this, at least uh, plot wise with it. Oh yeah, but uh, one thing I want to bring up here is that uh, we get, we get a bit of an insult to injury to. Sonic yeah, I knew you were going to reference this one because you've constantly brought this up in the past. This is like one of your favorite jokes. 
Yeah, like, uh, he's, he's standing there naked in front of everyone, and, the, like, in the corner, you can see Mako kind of doing the little, uh, kind of doing, like, a little thing with her fingers, where she kind of, like, points out how small his his dick is, and, like, and it's, like... It's cold in that gym, give him credit. They pump the AC up, okay? It's hot outside. <laughs> yeah, this is not its final form. <laughs> but, like, that's one of the many, like, subtle overcompensation jokes about him because like uh, you know you have the kendo he has this kendo stick you know carry a big long hard stick you also have the fact his uh he has like this belt with like the big spikes jutting out of it in front above his crotch you know so there's like there's like a lot of jokes at his, at his expense of like having being small down there like i like i've said before this not subtle <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh but he's not gonna take this loss lightly as later on he goes to iori to make a request Cut out my eyes. I don't like these blue eyes of mine. There's nothing more important to an elite than his eyes. Lady Satsuki made me an elite, now you will unmake me. It'll make for a touching display. And sure enough, he goes that extra mile, and uh, yeah, challenges where you go to a rematch. And then he, util- he does this by sewing his eyes shuts, which means it now like heightens his other senses-, senses to near superhuman levels, and he can now predict her moves even better than before. And it looks like he's actually about to beat her. Like, it's a very, like, kind of a subversion of the fight here. Because you think, like, oh, that first fight, he's done. He's never coming back. But then he comes back, and it's like, okay, the elites are going to go far and do whatever it takes to beat Ryuko. And these guys don't mess around. These guys are actually really tough. A weird structure. Like, exact. that's what I was mentioning before. Like, exact same episode. Bounces right back and kicks her ass. Kind of uh, interesting choice. I think it, I mean I think it works, of course. You know, like you said, it shows how well it shows that like before not person. Yeah, because like and in like uh, most anime, like you usually see like you get this and like oh that's it, or if they do come back, you have to come back in like a later episode. But not same episode. It reinforces your love for them, and just like show how like dedicated they are. But they really will do like insane, stupid shit like that in the name of victory. You know. Yeah, it's all about getting that W, man. Uh, so let's close out this uh, intro arc with a fan favorite uh, moment in the series as uh, let's break the first rule of Fight Club and talk about Fight Club. <laughs> uh, this, this, this is one of my fa- this is like one of my favorite episodes of the entire anime because it's just it's, it's such an admittance from the uh, crew because it, it's just a straight up admittance from the animation crew of like, hey guys, you know, all those fighters we told you Rico was going to fight. Yeah, we've got a story to tell, so let's just speed that up. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah. The whole episode is just a fast-forward button. Yeah. <laughs> she went through pretty much like a 13-episode anime in this one episode here. I mean, yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah, Ryuko starts up Fight Club because uh, she decides that she can pretty much game the system of the uh, Academy to uh, create her own club, whereupon she can people can just like line up in front and uh, get their asses kicked by her. Yep, and not only does she use this to just wipe the floor with all the other clubs that have been sprouting up because of her appearance in the school, she uses this to an advantage to help Mako's family move out of their little shanty home and get a better life because, you know, the higher rank you are in Honoji Academy, the more, like, uh, the better life you receive. A clever little idea from our uh, protagonist. Yeah, and also, uh, though, uh, one thing she does here is, like, uh, she initially wants to be uh, club president, but then when Gamagori hands her like all the paperwork and says like you must be here every morning for student council meetings every day, she decides like uh, actually my good friend Mako Mankanshoke is going to be the club president because <laughs> Ryuko just can't be bothered with paperwork and meetings. 
But this turns out to be a win-win situation for everyone, as Ryuku gets to bust some heads, the Mankanchos can get a happy life they deserve. And uh, Mako actually really improves as, like, a, a student here. Like, she, like, really buckles down and actually takes her job as a club president very seriously. But then, as we see over time, sometimes the, the, the glitter is uh, getting to everyone. Yeah, the, uh, the sweet life isn't all that it's cracked up to be as, uh, as, as they get more and more higher rankings and more and more uh, taste of the sweet life. It makes Mako and her family turn into a bunch of rich bastards. And not just any kind of rich bastards, I'm talking the kind that you'd, you'd like to see uh, Kiryu beat up in a Yakuza game. You know, guys who walk up to you with their fancy poofy wigs and say like, Hey punk, why don't you just give me some money or else I'll kick your ass? And then Kiryu just wipes the floor with them and, go, and they'll go like, No, please, just leave me alone here, take all my money, just go away. Just coming up to you on the street. <laughs> yeah, they're too focused on their swanky lifestyle full of hostess clubs, fancy chocolates, and all the bitches in Guts' case to the point where Ryuku feels neglected. And she's so lonely, she even wishes Mako's dad, Matoro, and Guts would peep on her in the bath. Like, at that point, you know, you can tell that she's desperate for just some kind of interaction. But then the big day comes. Yes, Ryuko decides that enough is enough, and she wants things to go back to the way they were. So she goes to Mako to end Fight Club, and just as that happens, Lady Satsuki gives Mako her two-star Goku uniform. As we get the major reason this episode is a favorite of Kill a Kill fans, and why Mako is also a big favorite amongst Kill a Kill on anime fans, we get Fight Club Mako. Yes, because Ryuko took down, in a very quick sequence, took down all of the other club presidents, but she's got one more to get past. And her best friend. Best friend, basically dressed as Jodoro Kujo from JoJo, and like, even at one point she does the Oro 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 to her. Like, one of my favorite Goku uniforms in the series. Like, it's so good that, uh, like, uh... Yeah, she even made Toy it into Cup the fighting game. Yep, made it into the fighting game as DLC, and she's actually pretty fun to, fun to play as. As she should. And also, uh, it's so good that uh, the company Good Smile actually made uh, a Nendoroid figure of Fight Club Mako. Oh, fuck it. They'll make a Nendoroid out of anything. <laughs> yeah, but still, it's, it's a little chibi Mako with her Fight Club uniform. It's like, it's so cute and kind of cool at the same time. And no one's doubting that. <laughs> And a little behind-the-scenes trivia I found out about this is that apparently this wasn't the first idea for Mako's Goku uniform. Sorry, dude, what did go for? Originally, she was going to transform into the Hulk. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm glad, they, I'm glad they went with the former. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, she would have been called the Invincible Mako or the Unbreakable Mako. I think I would have had to have seen that in fruition, because I don't know how that would turn out. You know, what's her secret? She's always angry. Uh, but uh, the ending to this episode is actually very sweet, and I'll splice you in. Glowing with happiness. But 
It was all a lie. None of it was real at all. We let ourselves be blinded by greed. That's what the glow was. It was plain old greed burning inside us. We're evil! Mom, Dad, everyone, and so am I! I guess now we know the real power of your Goku uniform, huh? huh? You know, you could have killed me if you wanted, but you didn't. You knew she'd never go that far. That's why you didn't fight back. Well, she was fighting hard, fighting all that greed inside her. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, Ryuko. Come on, let's end this. <laughs> I hereby declare, Fight Club is disbanded! I'm promoting myself back to being a no-star! See that? Humans ain't as weak as you say they are! They got the strength to do the right thing when they wanna! Go on! Do it! With pleasure! Finishing moves! Then Isoshi! <laughs> Nicely done. No good bastard! I hate myself now! I mean it horribly! It'll never happen again! I'm a greedy son of a bitch! No offense, Mom! We're so very sorry! Me too, me too! Don't screw me over like that again, got it? Got it! And uh, one thing I want to mention is that, like, uh, when Ryuku does her Seni Soshits to uh, destroy the uh, the Goku uniform, it, apparently the sewing club must have done something special with it, because usually when this happens, it just explodes into a bunch of little pieces, and then we get the one life fiber. But here, Mako's uniform just turns into, like, a bunch of fireworks and explodes. It's like, geez, what did you put into this uniform? Didn't it missiles at one point? I think so, yeah. <laughs> must have had a little gunpowder laced in there. A little extra juice in there. Well, whatever we got, we got our we got the road paved out. Uh, rest of the bit, uh, the rest of the heavy hitters. Oh yeah, but one thing I want to really point out is a, a great line from uh, Matro as when uh, Mako's family is apologizing apologizing to Ryuko for being so awful. He gives this great line where he goes, "I'm a greedy son of a bitch." No offense, mom. Little jokes like that, I like uh, hearing covered in the anime. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that sounds more like a dub edit because I remember in the Japanese version, I don't think like he just says "I'm sorry" and he was just being stupid, but that one was kind of added in. The dub. Well, sometimes the, the sometimes the animation can get to a such degree where like it's so chaotic, you can really just like put whatever you want in there. Oh yeah. Or uh, or my favorite moments. My favorite moments is whenever the uh, faces face of the characters you are dubbing over are covered up. <laughs> those, those are the best. Because uh, watch Tiger and Bunny. God, there's so many good dub lines in that. Because lots of characters, you don't no mouth flaps whatsoever. It is a gold mine for a dub for a uh, for a dub writer. Yeah, as like like as long as the line fits the timing, you can do whatever you want, really. And so the intro arc comes to an end as Ryoko and the Mankanchokes go back to their slum life, happily enjoying Mama Mankanchok's mystery food. 
You know, she doesn't know what's in them, but she's happy to see all the slurping smiles that her slop will bring. And then we find out uh, that Ryuko taking out all the weaker clubs was all part of a bigger plan from Lady Satsuki, as she wanted to weed out all the weaklings so that she can restructure the student council by holding a snap general election. And this brings us to the natural elections arc. As Lady Satsuki starts the uh, natural elections where students will compete in a seven-day battle royal in order to earn Goku uniforms. And at the end of the seven days, the remaining students will compete in a runoff election. And uh, the thing is with this battle is that it's not exclusive to the school. It's actually pretty much, you have full reign on the entire town and the entire city. So in doing this, Lady Satsuki just basically enacted the purge here. I mean, yeah, uh, pretty much. I mean, it's, it's going to be absolute hell. Although you, you kind of know who the dead ringers are going to be. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, you can look at all the characters here and go like, huh, I wonder who's going to make it to the finals of this election. <laughs> is it the ones who look like main characters? <laughs> nah, it can't be the main characters with actual hair color and actual characteristics and design features to them. <laughs> and I should mention that this is actually where the video game starts. This is where the, the plot begins. Ah, uh, naturally. And uh, during this, we get like uh, another favorite visual gag of mine as... Uh, we have the Elite Four kind of walking and talking, leaving in school, and you just see all the hoopla behind them, and, like, you see a bunch of random jobbers try to, like, jump them, and they, they just throw punches left and right while they're still just talking and walking, not breaking their stride or their conversation at all. It's it's a great, gifable moment here. And so, meanwhile, Ryuko and Mako return to Ryuko's old house to see if they can find any clues about Ryuko's dad's murder. They come up empty, and they have to hitchhike back. And that's when they get picked up by Gamagori in his pimp-mobile. Like, did you get a load of his car here? Sick car, bro. Oh my god, it's so sweet. Convertible, roof down, just like, oh god. Just take it out for a drive and just like, you know, look at all the people out there watching and going like, yeah, I know you're jealous. I'm surprised they could find a car that uh, fit his massive frame. Yeah. No, everyone needs a vehicle, even the very big. They can need like a Hummer or something for that. Yeah. <laughs> this is the finest auto I could afford. And uh, during this drive, they're attacked by students who try to purge them all on the highway. And it's uh, it's that is at this point where, you know, I've recently played Final Fantasy VII Remake. And I'm just like, man, it'd be great if, like, Roche from the from the entire motorcycle section of that game just shows up out of nowhere and just, like, starts fighting him. Just doing all this kind of motorcycle tricks and shit right here. Well, I don't know if that's Gamagori's strategy because uh, he's more of the uh, face things head on type of guy. Oh yeah, like he he squares up to these students after parking his car, and he transforms into his Goku uniform. And would you look at his uniform? Oh my god, the three-star Goku uniform skirt regalia. Yeah, how would you describe this regalia, Mikey? This looks very like we talked about kinks earlier, and I'm just like this takes kink to a whole new level as he's just wrapped up in kind of this. It's <laughs> kind of bondage gear and stuff and then like and then like the way it works is that he's supposed to get like he's supposed to absorb all the attacks of it. he's supposed to get just beaten beaten down until he climaxes <laughs> I, I will never not be amazed by uh, how comfortable uh, uh, by how openly comfortable <laughs> Japan is with certain subcultures <laughs> 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 and just what what kind of magic they can uh, make with with make with that stuff. <laughs> and I love the uh, back and forth between uh, Gamagori and Ryuko here, where she's all like, "That thing's hard," and he's all like, "You have no idea." Subtle, not subtle. <laughs> That's we're seeing a theme here. 
So the following week, we get the runoff election, which is just a simple King of the Hill game that Ryuko and the Elite Four win easily. What a surprise. Okay, now we're on to the now we're now we're on to the big leagues here. As like the stage is set as Ryuko will have to fight each member of the Elite Four one on one. And if she can defeat all of them, then Lady Satsuki will give her the details of Ishin Matoi's murder. So, you know, kind of a typical anime bat- battle anime setup, you know, go through all the grunts first and then you get the head honcho. Like I this this anime upon looking back does follow a lot of like uh shonen tropes that are just kind of like shortened down in some in like some ways. Yeah, and also kind of like they give their own uh, Studio Trigger kind of gives their own twist and spin on it. Yeah, well, like, well, honestly, Ryuko herself is ab- f- absolutely a shonen protagonist, like no doubt. Oh yeah, definitely. But just you know, you know, just everything fit within twenty six episodes because that's all the time they have, or rather, that's all the time they really cared to tell a story. You know, like they they had a very specific idea in mind. And so, Ryuko's first matchup is with Gamagori, and since she already saw his Goku uniform in action, she has an idea, and the fight begins, and Ryuko does the smart thing, and doesn't attack. Thinking if she doesn't hit him, then he can't send her attacks right back at her. But, Gamagori planned for this, as he beats himself in order to activate his Goku uniform's second transformation. Eh, careful now, he might go blind. And, uh, during this fight, we actually get a bit of a flashback to Gamagori's past, as we did with, uh, Sanageyama. And wouldn't you know it, this is a good way of doing mid-fight flashbacks, and no, I will not let that go, Black Clover. But we get to see how it relates to the fight at hand here, as it shows how Lady Satsuki took a shine to Gamagori's undying resolve, and how, like, in the past, when they were battling, he wouldn't, uh, kneel to her, and she was so impressed by that, uh, she allowed him to be a part of Hanoji Academy, and we see that a resolve on full display here, as uh, when it comes to his Goku uniform, it requires him to get beaten down in order for it to work. And they also uh, translated his uniform very well to uh, the video game, even, as uh, when you start off with full health in the game, you don't, uh, you can't really do much damage, but as soon as you start to get lower and lower health, that's when the uniform activates and you can do more attacks and powers, and I thought that was actually a really nice touch in the game. Even in the game, you can even, like, uh, beat yourself as well. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just like he does in the show. Oh yeah, he can like do the little whips that pop out of his bag and just start slapping himself all over. <laughs> oh no, one thing I want to bring up during this fight is uh, the scene that was cut when it was aired on the uh, was aired on Toonami. It's the bit when uh, Ryuko is uh, flung off the battlefield and she's hanging from her scissor blade, and uh, we get a shot of uh, her underboob here. Yeah, yeah, I can understand cutting that. Yeah, understood why it got cut, but uh, unfortunately it means uh, folks who only saw the Toonami broadcast missed out on uh, Mako's amazing reaction where she's like kind of half covering her eyes, her nose is bleeding, and she's, goes, and she's going, holy bazookers! Yeah, I, I, I don't know, that's, that's easy to cut out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know, I just uh, uh, missed the line. But uh, Ryuko is able to mount a comeback, and she ends up beating Gamagori with a really smart finish as she gets herself intentionally caught inside Gamagori's uniform. And then she transforms inside his uniform, and also it's like a new transformation for Senkets, where like he can now have like these his spikes protruding out of his body, out of the uniform, and uh, that is able to tear up uh, Gamagori's Goku uniform from the inside, leaving him wide open for a Seni Sosuits. So yeah, great finish here. I don't leave, as we'll say during these battles, there's, uh, we're now beginning to realize that Senkets can just do stuff. He <laughs> <laughs> can just transform into whatever, so it's like... All right, whatever. This, this kind of works. You can form spikes and shit now, out of nowhere. You know, you can pull out uh, Wolverine claws for Ryuko whenever he wants. Yeah. But uh, it's showing that uh, he's learning and actually, like, their fights are actually helping him, like, get more powerful. Plus, there's, yeah, there's a, there's a lot more that uh, Senkins can do if you yeah, just have a little bit of creativity. 
Mm-hmm. So up next is Ryuko versus Inamuta. But before we get that, we get his backstory as uh, Inamuta was a simple hacker who managed to hack into the company owned by Lady Satsuki's family and kind of tank their stocks here. And Satsuki was so impressed by this, she actually invited him to Honoji Academy by saying, meet me there if you want to change the world. And I bet that's uh, something that uh, Cody Rhodes says to any wrestler he wants in AEW. And uh, one thing I want to bring up uh, during this uh, arc here is that uh, anytime an Elite Four member loses in these fights, they end up having to sit next to Mako in the stands, and it leads to a lot of uh, fun interactions between them and Mako. They're all defeated, and they're all like put down, and they're all like put down a level, you know. So yeah, they're they're all on Mako's level by the end by uh, the end of these fights. And we get some cute interactions between her and Gamagori too. Yeah, I mean, like really, the only like first interaction we get between like the lower people and like the Elite Four. So they they mind these situations for uh, some good comedy. Oh yeah, and like even Mako, who real, who's like has the joke, notices that these guys know her name, and it's like, oh my god, you actually know my name? We didn't bring this before. <laughs> like they actually bothered, <laughs> and like they're just, they're just like whatever, shut up, slacker. And so this fight begins, and we see Inamuta's pro regalia, which is actually a really cool looking, where he has like these kind of keyboards, almost like a Tron like thing, where he's like typing all over him, collecting data. He's got kind of like the uh, the Jordy visor from Star Trek here. A pose that would make. The uh, Hawkeye projects on Tumblr uh, jealous. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, to be honest, like his uh, uniform and kind of fighting style is like pretty much the highlight of his fight. As it's not really much of a fight; it's more like just Inamuta wants to collect data from Ryuko, so he focuses more on that rather than beating her. And once he gets his fill of data, he's like, "Okay, I forfeit. Please don't destroy my uniform. I don't want to lose this precious data." Just like how's that? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. I'm. I have enough. That's done. Moving on. Uh, Rico, Ryoko just had a good move where she just made a giant p- p- pancake out of Senkets to stop him. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was one for the books. <laughs> that was one. That was one for books. Another smart finish here. So up next is, uh, I guess I guess we'll say this is our main event because Ryoko takes on uh, a girl that I'm pretty sure we both both kind of have a thing for, Nona Jacuzare, our marching band girl here as we were both uh, in band in high school. We 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 both we were both in marching bands, so yeah, not on uh, does resonate with us a bit. Yeah, like I remember seeing her, I'm just like, oh, she's the marching band girl. I'm just like, ah, get in, yeah, this is this is this is my girl. And oh, what does her what does her Goku uniform turn out to be? Transforms her into this giant flying orchestra. Yeah, like in the and like she uses the the instruments of her band to give her her like musical energy power to make like this giant battleship thing here called uh, Symphony Regalia. Coupled with excellent music, she's just rocking it around and just like shooting shit at Ryuko. Ooh. And even using like actual instruments as like weapons, including the most dangerous instrument of all, the recorder. <laughs> and of course, our marching band girl here uses the power of classical orchestral pieces. And uh, in watching this, I bet they saved a lot of money on the music budget because they're just using a lot of public domain songs that they, that they don't have to pay for. Nice. Saving money. Oh, yeah. And I wonder if uh, that played into her uh, character creation, because I discovered that apparently Nonon was originally going to be a punk rocker wielding an electric guitar who would use uh, guitar riffs as uh, her moves. Oh, that would have also been strong. Yeah, like, uh, they, they scrapped that in favor of the marching band look because the classical music fits uh, high school theme more. It, it works. It does work. And also, I bet if they went with the other look, they would probably would have to create more original music for her. But with this, it's like, no, nah, we can just use old... Uh, classical songs that you'd play in high school and uh, one thing i want to mention is how much i love sarah williams as known on oh my god she's just amazing 
and like this fight shows up how really good she is at playing Nonon. A good mocking character. So uh, yeah, she she does a good job of getting across that character of uh, Jakuza Ray. So Nonon flies up towards Lady Satsuki, looks at her at eye level, and says, "Talk dirty to me." I'm surprised you remember that old gag. <laughs> yeah, does this? I can see you never forgot that one. Never forgot it. This stupid video online where like uh, they just take Nonon marching with her band and they just set it to Jason Derulo. <laughs> Only Kill a Kill yeah, can make me tolerate that. <laughs> so after the first three elite backstories, we get Nonons as we see as we see that she's known Satsuki longer than anyone. As we see little Babby Nonon and little Babby Satsuki at Takashiba Kindergarten or Snobby Kindergarten, as it uh, translates to. And we also see in this flashback that uh, Nonon had a pet monkey, and it turns out uh, you see the sc- the skull and uh, bones on her hat. It actually comes from that monkey, as uh, we find out in like some trivia said by the creators. Oh yeah, that's a nice little tidbit to drop in the art book somewhere. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nice little, nice little skull adornments from a former pet. Yep, just uh, you know, she probably loved that pet so much that she didn't want to forget about it. So just like, hey, glue it onto your little uh, marching band hat. Uh, pray for Mojo. <laughs> <laughs> this backstory does go to show us how loyal Nona has been to Satsuki after all these years, ever since they were like little children, and how she admires her greatly and wants to. Do whatever she can to help her rise above everyone else, but also stand side by side with her. Pretty much all the uh, flashbacks among these Elite Four we've seen thus far really help uh, reinforce the, uh, not just loyalty, but you, you begin to realize over time, friendship that they all have towards uh, Satsuki. Yeah, because as we come to find out, uh, Satsuki doesn't think uh, less of her uh, Elite Four. She actually looks at them as friends and as equals. Doesn't think less of them or anything, you know? So, it, you know, it does have a bit of an interesting history. Yeah, just, you know, you just love, really love their camaraderie here. And so Nonon turns her Symphony Regalia Grave into an airship called Symphony Regalia Presto and destroys the platform below in order to beat Ryuko by ring out. However, Ryuko's got another trick up her sleeve as she flies now. She flies now. She flies now. She's, she's got jets. Oh, yeah. Sanket's ship. And by the way, I like how they're keeping some of the uh, Japanese names for the transformation and attacks here. It's just, it's a nice touch. And so the fight reaches its climax as Nonon transforms into Symphony Regalia de Capo, which is actually her uh, uniform when she fights in the video game here. Though it's kind of a shame. I wish I wish I could fight in the big giant battleship in the video game. That would have been nice. That would have. And uh, I really love the finish to this fight here. Like, it's my, probably one of my favorite of the Elite Four fights, as we have Ryuko combating Nonon's Beethoven with her J-Rock. <laughs> The only natural answer to Beethoven. Then here goes nothing. Well, guess it's time for this encore to come to an end. Along with you. This is your finale! Your fate is here! It's not that it isn't ringing out. I'm totally lost. What's going on? What do you see? Matoi's using her power to take Jakuzure's rhythms, make them resonate, and turn them into a pure tone. Mm-hmm. Wait, a what? She's altering the frequency of the sound waves mm-hmm. and making them match her own. I see. It's the same principle as a tuning fork. Mm-hmm. When hit, it sounds mm-hmm. dull, but it mm-hmm. becomes a single tone. So basically what you're saying is Ryuko's super awesome! 
Leave it to Monkanshok to boil down your explanation to its essence. How's that for a pure tone? More like pure stupidity. Hey, Sanketh, you hear me now? Yes, loud and clear. Is that your heart beating? Yeah, just keep focusing on that. Block out every other sound except that one. Ah, so this is your sound. Impossible! How can she block my sonic attack like that? No, she's not just blocking it. I'm sending it right back! Trying to push me back, huh? Time to crank it up! Ah! Wish I could hear what you're playing! And again, I bet it sounds like ass! You goddamn stinking bitch! Suck it! And turn that shit off already! Kamui's made entirely of life fibers. Therefore, the frequencies it emits are more powerful than Jakuzare's Goku uniform. Therefore, it's neutralizing her sound! My symphony regalia! Ready? Scissor blade! Decapitation mode! Your concert's over! Finishing move! Zen-E Soshit! And uh, I kind of like the sound design here, you know, I don't really talk much about sound design because I'm not really that good at talking about sound design. I'm not like JP from Dead Rat Pizza, but uh, I like how the sound works where, like, we have the big J-Rock song, but uh, every now and then when, like, either one of them gets the advantage, the song gets louder over the other song. So when Nonon gets the advantage, we hear the bum 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 but when Ryuka gets the advantage, we hear the, so the the rock song, so, you know, it's kind of the big back and forth here until eventually comes to a head where Ryuko comes out on top. It's that extra... It's that extra oomph that they give to it that sells the entire battle. Oh, yeah, just this fight ruled. And uh, they, there was probably a good reason for putting that in, too, uh, based on uh, knowing that this really is the uh, climax of this uh, little arc as well, in some way, at least uh, fight-wise, as we're about to see. Oh, uh, yeah. Because uh, up next is the rubber match between Ryuko and Sanagayama. Or is it? As a mysterious pink girl shows up after making uh, some brief appearances walking through the city, paralleling some of the shots of Ryoko walking through the city in the first episode. As we are now introduced to the Grand Couturier of the Revox Corporation, Nui Harime, played here by Stephanie Shea. Oh, this fucking girl here. Should have some, like, um, like Halloween-like music, like, playing in the background whenever she appears. Or some, like, musical sting, all of, like, uh, The Exorcist or something. Oh, uh, where's John Carpenter when you need him? <laughs> the entire game changes. Like, you even see Lady Satsuki, like, reacting, going, like, what is she doing here? What's going on? And, like, uh, and then she gets herself over, gets her strength over by making Sanagayama look like a total geek, breaking his uniform's banshi, which is the life fiber that holds the uniform together, with her single pinky finger you know like you hear people saying like ah, i can beat you with one finger well she can literally beat you with one finger yeah. and that's not all 
as then we get the reveal as Nui pulls out the other half of the scissors, the purple scissor blade, and tells Ryuko that she is the one who killed Ishin Matoi. And Ryuko is pissed. <laughs> Stakes are raised. This reveal is so great. Like it makes you it makes you want to see Ryuko destroy this little pink demon, but after seeing what she did to Sanagiyama, you know it's not gonna be easy. It's like, uh just oh fucker up, but like, oh, this is gonna this won't be good. Not gonna end well. And we see that happen as Ryuko absolutely loses it to the point where she overloads Senkets with so much rage-fueled angry blood, you know, angries up the blood a little here, and she transforms into a hideous, almost Cronenberg-esque monster here. Yeah, re- really fantastic design on, like, her uh, monster form here. Sadly, it's, I think, about, like, the, uh, the only time we see it in the series, I believe. Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, it reminds me of when I, uh... Remember in, like, uh, the third season of Sonic X, where, like, uh, you have that one episode where Sonic transforms into dark supersonic, and everyone's all like, oh, this is so cool, but it's never seen again and never talked about again. It's it's kind of like with this, where we get this really creepy monster look for Ryuko, but it's, like, eh, it's kind of done after this ep- after this arc. Uh, no, I don't remember that at all, but uh, thank you for sharing that. Oh, uh, yeah, you don't need to worry about it. It doesn't matter at all in the story of Sonic X Season 3. You know, Dark Super Sonic is bullshit. Much like all of Sonic X, uh, doesn't matter. Yeah. Hey! hey. hey. <laughs> ribbon, just ribbon. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, this whole monster thing was uh, Nui's plan all along. She wants the Ryuko to, like, just absolutely lose it. Lose her way, even. Ryuko, you lost your way. You didn't listen to your theme song. Yes. What happened? We have the theme song for a reason. If you don't listen to the theme song, then what's the point of having one? Let's listen to it again. Don't lose your way. <laughs> no, 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 not literally. Uh. <laughs> I, I heard that enough in the series. <laughs> there needs to be like a CD release. All the different versions of uh, Before My Body is Dry. Uh, but Ryuko's about to die from blood loss, and we get some great lines from Mako here, as she says, At work, my daddy steals blood from his patients and sells it for big bucks, so I've seen a lot of people die from blood loss. Don't waste your blood, Ryuko! It's worth a lot of money! Please, God, listen to the daughter of the backcountry. <laughs> and I love how uh, Gamagori is hearing Mako say this, and he's all like, Wait, Mankancho, did you just realize what you just said? And she just, like, doesn't bat an eye at it. Yeah, as... as- Okay, later on, uh, the, the creators really favored uh, the interactions between Mako and Gamaguri the most. Oh yeah, like, this is just the start of it, but as soon as the as the rest of the series goes on, like, we come to see more of it, and it, we come to see how much, why I really love it so much. It, yeah, you, you can tell who the animator's favorites were. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ryuko's going on a rampage, and Lady Satsuki's trying to keep her under control. Mako's trying to save her, and Trigger is really showing off their stuff in the animation, because, oh my god, like, we get some... You gotta see. And, uh, we get the shot where, uh, you know, the big wave, literal waves of energy come out of Ryuko and Mako rushing towards Ryuko dives into the energy waves and starts swimming through it. It's it's really it's really good. And also, it's just really awesome and really sweet because it's uh, it calls back to the Fight Club episode where Ryuko helped her, you know, not lose her way. So Mako's trying to play, pay her back for uh, that incident. So Mako manages to slap Ryuko to her senses. Well, no, about as normal as she can be. Yeah, close enough. As normal as normal is in this world. And all's well that ends well, kinda, as a lot of the city and school are fucking destroyed. 
And the natural election arc comes to a close as Lady Satsuki prepares to take over Japan with a Tri-City School raid trip. As Satsuki prepares a raid on Osaka, Kyoto, and Kobe, issuing students with new Goku uniforms created based on the data from Ryoko's battles. This was her true motive for holding the elections, as she just wanted to weed out all the weaklings, get some data on Ryuko, and then use that to uh, fuel her raid trip. But uh, as we'll soon see, Lady Satsuki having ulterior motives is uh, going to be quite common in the series. Although, I, I will admit, this is... Um, uh, was this... Uh, I, I gotta refresh my memory. Was this brought up earlier before? Like, because it... it, it like was this was this trip brought up like earlier before in the series before the set, run of these episodes? I believe in the first arc they may have hinted at it. They may have hinted at, at least some uh, matches with like uh, some of the uh, Kansai region schools, and that's about it. But uh, never any like yeah, felt like they could have like uh, led into this a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, Mako's upset that she can't go to due to uh, being a no star. But at the same time, she's kind of glad that she doesn't have to go because she doesn't want to fight. But at the same time, she wants to go because who doesn't want to visit uh, the Kansai region and Kyoto and all that? And then uh, when she's uh, talking to uh, Mr. Makisugi about this, we get we get this fucking line from him that I couldn't believe the first time I heard it or like heard it again recently for watching that for this podcast, where like, he says to her, "Oh, all you short bus kids got left out of the raid trip." Oh, okay. I like I had to I had to rewind to make sure I, I heard that right. I would have cut that line myself. Yeah, 2013 was a different time. It, it was it was literally seven years ago, not long. <laughs> so uh, not a, not a different time. <laughs> Sorry, it's just I'm I'm so tired of the excuse. Yeah, long. like it, it's it was a different time. It was fucking seven years. Yeah, ago. it's just it's that's not a different time. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a really weird. Like I had to do a double take. I'm just like, whoa, what the hell? Oh. Land before time, huh? Were we pounding around with Littlefoot and Sarah? <laughs> that was a different time. Uh, meanwhile, Ryuko's uh, sulking over the whole transforming into a monster thing, and she's refused to wear sense cats ever since. But one new student is able to get Ryuko to wear her uh, her Kamui again, and saying that uh, it'll help her combat Lady Satsuki's ray trip. Though it turns out to all be a ruse, as this student is actually Nui in disguise, as she played Ryuko like a damn fiddle! And Nui's able to defeat Ryuko as she wasn't 100%, and then tears up Senkets into a bunch of tiny little pieces. And uh, considering that Senkets is actually alive, this must be at really, really horrifying to him, and really painful. Kick her while you're down. And then Satsuki takes all but one of Senkets' scraps so that they may be distributed to suitable hosts to provide combat data during the raid trip. After Ryuko get, gets back up again, she takes the last remaining piece of Senkets and heads towards the Kansai region to get the rest of them back. And Makisugi follows her as he drops his disguise completely and plans to focus entirely on his real plans. And he does all this by stripping in front of Matro, and it's like, dude, there's a child present. This will label you as a sex offender. And so, the raid trip is now underway as Hinoji Academy attempts to take over the entire Kansai region. And oh boy, an English dub of an anime featuring the Kansai region means we're going to have some fun with adapting the accents. Every time. Every goddamn time. They take advantage of that opportunity. You know, like in the past, this usually means either Boston, Brooklyn, or Southern accents. Just walking to Kansai, howdy, partners! Well, gal dang, why don't you come over here and eat some Okonomiyaki, cousin? Uh, every damn time, like, look. Oh, you get like a Joey Wheeler from Yugo saying, Hey, you, why don't you come here and taste the power of my flame swordsman there? Or like, uh, Naru from the old dub of Sailor Moon, where she talks in a Boston accent. Like, that, that one... 
you know what? I can at least like understand like the country accent because like Kansai is a more like uh, agricultural area, you know. You know, like in Japan, they, like people from Kansai are kind of treated as like bumpkins, like over in that country. But like the Boston accents never make any sense. No, no. It's like fuck it. Who cares? Funny, funny accents. Japanese funny accents in American <laughs> or English. <laughs> fuck it. They were probably thinking American when they were thinking of that. Like, oh, funny American voice in America. Oh yeah, we got Let's these funny it. accents, don't you know? <sighs> <laughs> but uh, what do the good folks at BangZoom Entertainment do for uh, for the Kansai region this time around? What's up, you Hinoji Academy dipshits? I'm Kaneo Takarada, the student council president of Naniwa Kinman H. If you don't want my foot up your ass, you better get to step in. Oh, that's the angle we're going Oh, with. yeah. Look at homeboy over here. Kaneo Takarada, played here by Benjamin Diskin, having the time of his life playing this character. Yes, yes. Remind me of just, just go ahead and remind me of every kid I hated from elementary school. <laughs> Takarada here is what happens when you put American Dragon Jake Long, Vanilla Ice, Eminem, and that one Raichu trainer from the Pokemon Diamond and Pearl anime into a blender, and then Ben Diskin tops it all off with a little bit of Eric Sparrow from Tony Hawk's Underground for good measure, you know, to really round out the character and also to uh, piss off Matt and Wooly in the process. I honestly think this dude has too many great lines that I'll I'll spicy in some, but it's just there's so many that I'll just have to pick and choose here. Who needs it when I got the flapping guns of all the grannies and Osaka on my side? You might have put the net on lockdown, but those chicks can spread a rumor faster than a pimp can slap a hoe, yo. Check it. You in my house now, homie. The Ota the Saka's a merchant town. And might as well make this place go round. The G with the most coin wins up in here! What a douche. Well, here's the deal. Your system's gotten stale, so we're here to establish a new world order. In the name of Satsuki Kiryuin, I'm ordering you to surrender or face the consequences! You talking crazy, Tom. You hire something? All criticizing our way of life. Hell, you don't know the power of paper. Well, we gonna wake your ass up to reality by bitch slapping you in fat stacks of cash! All right, homies, make it rain. You got it, Please show restraint, my <laughs> There's only so many you can add. You know, we stand talk. I stand Takarada, but it's like you know, I I will try to keep it under control for this portion. Well, if you stand up so much, why don't you cosplay him or sometime? I would if I could. <laughs> you wish you could be that cool, you know. I wish I could have a grill that says Zenny on it. <laughs> and I also wish I can use uh, money as a weapon. Uh, capitalism in its uh, purest form here. Oh, doesn't he just embody? Doesn't he just embody it here? He does, just using all kinds of his his own personal money, Takarada bucks, to motivate the people of the Kansai region to fight for him in exchange for all this money that only works in the Kansai region, apparently. <laughs> it inflates the it inflates the country by fifty points for twelve seconds of firing. Their economy is probably super fucked down there. <laughs> Careful when firing these guns. Inflation goes up a single point for every five seconds. <laughs> By the end of this raid trip, the Takarada buck is going to be absolutely worthless. He's going to be like that, like he's going to be like that one king from like uh, Africa who like uh, like spent like threw gold in the streets and tanked the the economy of his country. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the implications. 
you God. don't get this in any old anime, so we're savoring this moment right here. Yes, because because all because I will say all for for all the for all the for all the humor this does give us, I will say it's a little bit of a step down drama wise because like we just went from like heavy shit of like seeing like you know the the true culprit of uh, that Ryuko has been looking for, and then we go right into like this goofy shit. I will say it doesn't like entirely click together for me. It's it's probably the weakest part of the series for me. You gotta have some comic relief, but I can I can totally get why. Like after that big reveal with Nui going to this guy is like a bit of a bit of jarring. And not only that, but like after this guy, we start getting the heavier shit as well. So, but um, yeah, I guess they just wanted to you know throw in a bit of fun before we last minute fun before we go balls deep. Oh yeah, and uh, I want to bring up the part where like the whole thing with the money leads to like another fan favorite scene from Mako as a. Uh, she was able to come along with the raid ship, though she was forced to, and then she sees people shooting money, and then she wants them to shoot her with it so she can collect all the money to buy all the local Kansai region food and merch. Like, she even walks up to a guy and, like, has her point the gun at her chest, and she even goes, like, give me what I want, what I really, really want. And, like, this whole scene here basically turns into, like, one big advertisement for the Kansai region's, like, specialty foods and merch, because, like, Mako just hallelujah her ways through food stands, just talking about how good all everything is here, and just like, hey... Don't you just don't you just want to try all this food? Come to the Kansai region anytime you get the chance to. And so then we return back to Takarada as he faces off against Lady Satsuki and Sanagayama. And then Homeboy turns into a giant Henry Crab where he says, You just jealous because you, you can't afford a gold mecha crab? I am jelly. <laughs> I am jelly of this gold mecha crab. And I feel like just... You get a lot of these scenes of Takarada here. I feel like the show just really, really wants to just get him over because like in the last episode of this arc they cut out the opening probably because so they can have more scenes with takarada here yeah probably the the animators do seem quite proud of them all things considered <laughs> and so like he's fighting sanagiyama and like the way he sanagiyama finishes off takarada here is it's something that needs to be seen because i when watching it for this podcast i honestly forgot how he beats him and then when i saw the skin i'm just like oh that's how he wins. Oh, I remember all. I remember quite well. <laughs> like it's unbelievable, and I fear that it should be a big Brazzers logo in the corner. And so then finally, Ryuka arrives on the scene, having collected all of Senketsu's pieces except for one. She still needs the glove, and the person who has it is none other than Lady Satsuki. And the finale to the arc is actually pretty amazing. You know, like we get Ryuko Satsuki Part Two, the Elite Four doing cool-looking group transformations with their new Goku uniforms and joining in the fight. Makisugi leads uh, new to speech into a battle with a bunch of naked ATST looking mechs here. It's just like somehow Ryuko and Satsuki too manages to be more of an over-the-top fight and insane than their first encounter. And like the first time they were confined to just the school here, they're using the entirety of the Kansai region and like this entire city right here. Go all out for uh, this for this final stretch of the series. Yeah, you know, it's a great way to close out the halfway point. And then uh, we get another Gurren Lagann reference in this fight as Ryuko basically does the Kamina Let's see you grit those teeth punch to uh, Lady Satsuki. This uh, allows Ryuko to force a stalemate and coerces Satsuki into withdrawing her troops as opposed to simply killing each other. Satsuki agrees to this as she has already fulfilled her goal. Her true intention of the raid ship wasn't to take over the Kansai region, but it was to bring Nudis Beach out of hiding so she can destroy their base. And she succeeded, so see her having ulterior motives here coming into play and so lady satsuki and her troops depart and kisuki finally agrees to tell ryuko everything he knows about the life fibers this has quite been quite the mid-season finale here 
And on that note, we're going to take a break. And when we return, we'll be right back to talk about the second half of Kill a Kill, starting with the introduction of Ragio Kiryuin. Careful what you wish for. Who's there? What the hell? Is that a sailor uniform? Put me on! Put me on! They're called life fibers. They're living fibers woven into clothing for combat. These special fibers enhance strength and reveal special abilities. Is Zenkets one of those? The new girls come back. This time, I'm gonna knock you all on your asses! Let's do this, Zenkets! Whoa, what's she wearing? How dare you put the school wearing that? I'm gonna rip that bikini to shreds! Impossible, 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 impossible! Okay, Satsuki Kiryui! Did you or didn't you kill my father? Then I guess I'll have to beat the truth out of her. I can't wait. You were totally badass, all swinging that scissor blade around, dressed up like a hooker. Shit! <laughs>
And we're back with the second half of Kill a Kill. And uh, first things first, talk about the new opening and ending we have for this second half of the series. The opening is Ambiguous by Garnedelia. I hope I pronounced that right. And the ending is Shin Sakai Ko Kyo Gaku, which translates to New World Symphony by Sayonara Ponytail. Uh, what do you think of the new opening and ending we have here? Um, I like the ending better. I like the opening a little less than the first one. Really? Because I actually think the opening could... It got, you got to have to catch me on like a certain day, because on some days I think uh, the second opening is better than the first opening, but on some days I think the first opening is better than the second opening, but still both both bangers. It's pretty hard with the visuals. Like, first one, music just hits a bit harder. Oh yeah, oh yeah, the music does really hit harder, but like with the, the second opening, I do like, uh, I kind of like the visuals a bit more. And again, music, man, that's what gets me in the end, <laughs> not just visuals. Okay. But uh, I really think the ending is uh, really cute for the second half ending. Yeah, it is. <laughs> basically, kind of, It's just basically like the Mako song here. <laughs> it also kind of gives me uh, vibes of the uh, the ending to Panty and Stocking, because it's almost kind of like in the same animation style. A little bit, yes. Just a little bit. But now let's get back to the story, and uh, the second half of the series kicks off with the best recap ever where uh, it starts off with Senkets narrating and then saying, like, okay, we're going to go into the recap, so here we go. And then he basically just steamrolls throughout the entire first half of the series in, like, under a minute while, like, the can-can music is playing in the background. Hi, everyone, and thank you for watching Kill a Kill up to this point. My name is Kamui Senkets, and I love irony or being iron. And I'm a sentient sailor uniform. Welcome to the recap episode you all knew was going to happen eventually. Ready? Let's begin. Ryuga Matue is searching for her father's killer, someone with a half pair of scissors. She arrives at Hanoji Academy and meets Satsuki Kiryuin, the student council president. Satsuki plans to conquer all the schools in Japan using Goku uniforms, clothing that contains life fibers and that can unleash the human body's special abilities. But when Ryuko met me, Kamui Senkets, she gained the power to fight Satsuki in her vile clubs like boxing, tennis, disciplinary trap development, gardening, rakugo, 100 poets, knife throwing, nanjing lily, etc., etc. Then there was an election slash battle royale where all the clubs had to fight each other. And at the end of that, Ryuko had a battle against the Elite Four. She defeats Iragamagori, Hoka Inamuta, and Nonon Jakuzane. Then all of a sudden, a girl named Nui Hanami appeared. She was the person with a scissor blade who killed Ryuko's father, Ishin Matoi, and then Ryuko turns into a monster. Then we finally get to meet Satsuki's mother, Ragyo Kiryui, the CEO of the Kiryuin conglomerate. And then, Satsuki decides it's time to complete her conquest of Japan's schools and puts her Kansai school raid trip into action. But the schools weren't the only target. Oh no, she was really going after Nudist Beach, a rebel organization that opposes the Kiryuin clan. I was chopped to pieces so Ryuko gets a motorcycle and heads to Kansai to save me. Then she gets into an epic battle with Satsuki, smack dab in the middle of Osaka. Which brings us to this episode, where the mystery of the life fibers will be revealed. <laughs> I'm sure you groaned when you heard me say recap episode, but have faith! Thanks to Kill a Kill's lightning pace, our recap fit in the prologue! Now, let the episode proper begin! I appreciate that, because the recap episodes, they're, they're very often not good in either. They're either not good or just, like, boring in how little they gave you. And it's just like, uh, he even says it in the, uh, in the recap where he goes like, oh, don't worry about this. Thanks to Kill a Kill's neck-breaking speed, we can get through the entire recap in the prologue. Thank you, Senkats. Yeah, you saved us a lot of time. Kill a Kill is, Kill a Kill is if nothing, uh, tries not to waste your time. Exactly. And also, major props to David Vincent for being able to pull this off. I know part of it is editing, making him talk like really fast and under like a minute, but at the same time, it's he still had to do this, and it's still amazing that he pulled this off. 
it's it's not an easy job for either the writers or the uh, voice actors either. So it was nice to see they were able to pull this off. And so we return to the story with Lady Satsuki returning home to recover from the raid trip and her fight with Ryuko. And now it's time to introduce her mother. Introducing Ragyo Kiryuin, played here by Laura Post, the director of Hanoji Academy and the CEO of the Revox Corporation, which manufactures and supplies a majority of the world's clothing. Uh, what do you think of Ragyo here? Mother of the year. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, what, if, what if a fashion designer, but evil? Also the worst mother ever. Oh, God, and also uh, played here by uh, Laura Post, and it's not the first time she's... Uh, played the uh, mother of the year in an anime remember back when we did uh promise neverland and uh she was uh mama isabella there fine job there as well you know evil mothers she's got it down pat and also being an antagonist to a character played by erica mendez so we still have that ah there we are there we are and then we get uh this scene this bath scene here so what do you care to give us some thoughts on what happens here do i have to <laughs> <laughs> i mean you know it's the point of this show <laughs> uh well mm, well it's it's one of the ways in which like i think uh, kill a kill i think um uh i don't know like this is hard to talk about because i don't have a very good perspective to like really like analyze it from to be honest because like kill a kill is just like a little confusing or like complex in like the relationship between Satsuki and uh, Ragyo a little bit. I, I don't, I'm sorry, but I just don't feel equipped to like really talk about it. Yeah, it's all right. Like this, this scene is uncomfortable, but I feel what they were going for is that it's meant to be, it's meant to get over how Ragyo well, is uh, a, like, of course, of course it's meant yeah. to be uncomfortable. Yeah, it's, it's meant to get over that she's a sick woman who sees others, is, her daughter especially, as nothing more than dolls, playthings, things to control. Yeah. Something to use, yeah. Like, that's that's as far as I can really... As far as my brain really cares to like, comprehend that. You know, she just uh, wants to flaunt her power and power over, or she has over others, and the fact that she's doing this to Satsuki, someone who's been shown to be the most powerful and, and authoritative character in the show thus far, really exemplifies Ragyo's power and control. Like, it's meant to make you feel uneasy and also afraid of her. Like, she's getting over as terrifying with the scene. Especially in regards to that this is happening to Satsuki, too, a, uh, you know, a character who commands a lot of power in the series, and uh, that she finds herself in the situation. Uh, I know there's also some context in regards to sexual like, abuse as well, but I am not equipped to talk about that. Right. Now, I will leave that to other people like, who, can, like, like, talk, who, who can talk about that. I, I, I don't. Yeah, people better equipped than us. And also, it yes. should uh, it should go without saying that the scene was entirely cut from the uh, Toonami broadcast, and rightfully so. I mean, yeah, I can understand that. And now it's time to learn the truth about life fibers, as we get this info from two intertwining scenes between uh, Ragyo and Satsuki, and then uh, Mikisugi, Ryuko, and Mako, as Ragyo shows Satsuki a chamber in their mansion containing the primordial life fiber, a parasitic extraterrestrial that produces other fibers to feed on all of mankind. And then Mikisugi reveals that the life fibers are what induced humanity's evolution into Homo sapiens and the instinct to wear clothes. There it is. There it is. There's the Gurren Lagann spiral energy bullshit. Mm-hmm. Like... <laughs> This is classic Trigger right here, where they just love doing these kind of big 
info dumps. When I saw this originally, I should have seen it coming. I should have seen it. <laughs> but here it is. Life Fibers Guided Humanity. Yep, and also we find out that uh, Ishin Matoi founded New to Speech and created Senkets for for Ryuko to wear to fight the Kiryuians when she became older. Those, those fucking scientists, they didn't know what they were thinking. They were all like, oh, well, well humanity evolved to uh, create clothing because they wanted to be uh, warmer in the uh, in the environments and to create the elements out there. And the Samurai just goes, no, what are you fucking stupid? Life fibers, of course. Ah, oh, man, it's aliens, man. It's always got to be aliens. <laughs> And you know, when the show got to this point and started to go places beyond this scene, I'm just like, you know what? All in. I'm all in on this crazy ride you're bringing me on, Trigger. Oh yeah, because it's perfectly in tune with like all the other crazy like shit we've seen up to this point. So yeah, by this point, you can totally agree with it. Yep, and also, Senkets is an alien, technically, and this won't be the last time Trigger goes to the aliens well. <laughs> <laughs> no, they will They will uh, draw from that well until it goes dry. I'm pretty sure at least two or three of the shows we're going to be covering this summer includes aliens in some way. Yeah, I think you're right, actually. So yeah, this, this, will, not be our, this will not be our only brush. So once the truth is out, we then get Ragyo's master plan as she instructs Satsuki to organize a school festival so she can distribute covers, which is an army of life fiber clothing, Across the world, this plan will be disguised as a cultural and sports festival celebrating Ragyo's visit to the school where everyone will be forced to wear special formal attire made by Revox, and then that's when they'll get them and capture them. It's the old uh, free clothing angle, you know? you know? They should have just made it like a sports event where like, they're just blasting t-shirts in the crowd. <laughs> and you get a Goku uniform, and you get a Goku you know, you could probably have, like, say, Mako's dad in the crowd draw, like, a little uh, target on his chest with ketchup going, Hey, t-shirt, 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 t-shirt. Mama Ma- Mako Shoke just gets, like, just, like, blasted off of a, <laughs> off of a bleacher by <laughs> a t-shirt. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I said to her was no footlongs. <laughs> Uh, but the night before all this goes down, we get something that I actually didn't catch the first time before, a little uh, foreshadowing to things to come as we get back-to-back oh. scenes of uh, Ryuko and Satsuki reminiscing about their fathers and how they cared about them and looked out for their daughters. And I'm thinking, knowing what I know about what happens near the end of the series, I'm just like, huh, was that a hint? Was that a hint of things to come? I, mm, I mean, I, I kind of caught a little bit. Yeah, I didn't notice the first time, but after knowing watching the series a couple of times, I'm just like, huh. All right, it's one of those things you can pick up on, you know. Nice, nice little touch you can uh, catch on a second viewing. And the day of the cultural sports fest has come, and everyone prepares for what's to come. Uh, I really like the part where we see uh, Lady Satsuki and the elites do like uh, the thing you'd see in like any kind of TV show, movies, or what have you, where they all toast sake, take a drink, and then smash the cups on the ground. I I love seeing that whenever that happens. I don't recall where like the smashing on the ground comes from though specifically because I don't think I've seen that before in my past anime. But it is a nice touch. Yeah, I believe the reason for the smashing of the cups is like the drinking of the sake is meant to be like their last drink. So when they smash the cups, that means there's no going back and like you're pretty much you're pretty much gonna be fighting to the death after this. Where does that come from though? I tried looking up where it came from, but I, I kept getting different answers and none of them were really satisfying. Oh, we, we'd have to dive more into like the research. Yeah. Cultural connotations. Sake really it's fascinating. And so the ceremony is underway, and Ragyo, accompanied by her secretary, Rei Ho'omaru, played here by Christina V, begins having the Life Fivers devour everyone in the stadium. Ryoko and company arrive on the scene, and then 
it happens. Lady Satsuki swerves Ragyo and the audience as she literally backstabs her mother and announces her rebellion against Ragyo and the Life Fibers. This was her grand plan all along, and this was the sole purpose of Hanoji Academy. Lady Satsuki was building an army to take down her mother. And she even played Ryuko and Nudist Beach as she was simply testing them this whole time. Because, like, if they ended up getting defeat, then, well, they won't factor into their plans. But since they survived this long, then, okay, you can now join in with this big plan to take down Rakio. Quite the Machiavellian plan. Yes, and I will splice you in the scene. How droll. Perhaps you do not realize who you are talking to. I am Ragyo Kiryuin, head of the Kid. <laughs> <laughs> What is the meaning of this? The time for speeches is over! Hear me, Director! As of this moment, Hanoji Academy and I are putting an end to your reign! What the hell? Ooh, so that's your game! Are you trying to take the throne from me? No, I'm not! People do not live for the sake of clothing! I, Satsuki Kiryuin, am rising up to overthrow the Life Fibers! I did not create Honoji Academy for you! But to destroy you! Remember that! Ragyo Kiryuin! So I remember when this, when I first watched this, this came out. Uh, actually, I remember when this first came out. I hadn't watched that at the time. And everyone online was just freaking out. Like they were just saying, like, oh, the newest episode of Kill a Kill, the, the, this moment, what, what happened? And But they weren't posting any spoilers, thankfully. So I had no idea what they were freaking out about, but it's just. And then once I actually saw it, I'm just like, oh, that's why everyone was freaking out. Yeah, it, it is a good, it is a good little reveal. But I think maybe they hyped it up a little much, or maybe that's just me remembering a little bit wrong. I mean, I don't really remember how I felt at the time, but like the the, the reveal here. Oh yeah, it was like seven years ago, so but you know. Yeah, <laughs> I can I can be forgiven for right. not remembering. And so Lady Satsuki and the Elite Four free all the trapped students and citizens from the Life Fibers while Mako helps with the evacuation. Satsuki wants everyone to discard all their clothes so they can't be controlled. And I'm all like, I hope Lady Satsuki tells us to burn our pants. These things have been driving me nuts. Hey, Lady Satsuki, don't you hate pants? <laughs> and also I want to mention how it's, uh, it's really sweet that uh, Gamagori is worried about Mako and her family. And we got hints of this pairing early on, but... Starting with this arc, this is where they really start to push it, and I'm all for it. Mako Gamagori, five ever. Like I said, the the animators knew their favorites. <laughs> they knew what uh, they knew what we want, and they gave us what we want. Well, they they probably thought about like what would be the funniest pairing here. Uh, like the the goofiest girl with like the biggest, most serious guy. Oh yeah, that'll work. Yeah, just like look at tiny little Mako. I can see the logic. Look at little tiny Mako along with this big hulking monster of a man. You, you wouldn't think it. You wouldn't even. You wouldn't really think about it. <laughs> they they still gave this up. And meanwhile, Sasuke reveals how Ragyo used her uh, in Life Fiber experiments. He reveals how she used her in those experiments, along with her newborn sister at the time, who was discarded by Ragyo when the experiments allegedly failed. This is where this is where the gears started like turning in my head. Like, 
Oh, they're going for this, aren't they? Yeah, it's like, you start off with the Rebellion, then you add this angle with, uh, with a long-lost sister, and then it's just like, wait, what's going on here? What are they doing? And then Ragyo is then able to turn the tables on Satsuki and company as she breaks free, heals her own injuries because she's infused with life fibers, and that allows her to uh, heal. And then she takes control of the students using mind-stitching, turning them into her own personal army. She even mind-stitches Ryoko at this point, just putting life fibers in their brain and just making them walking, clothed, fighting zombies here. And yeah, and just like how uh, people can turn into drills... Uh, <laughs> Karen Lagan. People can also be made up entirely of life fibers as well. This kind of reminds me of like uh, I think an interview with Ima Ishii where he's talking about like themes in his shows, and he and he talked about how the theme of Karen Lagan was drills, and the theme of uh, Kill a Kill was clothing. So he takes those themes and just basically applies them the same, motif, same way. Moreover, I would say that's more of a motif. Really. Motifs, yeah. Dr- dr- uh, uh, like the the main theme of like Karen Lagan, I would say is like evolution and progress a little bit kill a kill is more about uh let's say um uh, shoot like i'm trying to think like the theme of kill a kill is god i should have thought through this question a little bit more <laughs> <laughs> i want to say freedom i want to say freedom because like the show makes a lot of parallels especially during the section towards like clothing being restrictive and controlling and uh lots of characters find that like the less clothing they have the more power they have in this world oh yeah i believe it is freedom that's that's the closest theme i can like find for killing yeah uh but yeah drill motif clothing motif Mm, and just doing it the same exact ways and uh by the way i want to mention is that in the video game like you play through this section in the game but uh there was an added twist where rakio also mind stitches the elite four so you have to fight them too and they and you fight them at the same time, four on one, and it was actually pretty hard the first time I played it. Okay. And so it appears Sasuke gets the win as she slices off Rakyo's head. Or does she? As Rakyo survives and reattaches her head, as so long as one thread of life fiber remains uncut, she can reattach any body parts, and that's something to remember for the rest of the series. Clearly, they clearly didn't read One Piece and read into Doflamingo's powers with strings. Ah. <laughs> and then, big oh shit moment here, as Ragyo beats the hell out of Satsuki, and it's actually really brutal, as we get like a big POV shot from Satsuki's point of view, as Ragyo's just pummeling her, just throwing fists to the screens and everything like that. Satsuki loses. It's pretty brutal. She loses... Bakuzan breaks, Ragyo takes Junkets for herself, she rushes Ryuko, rips out her heart Mortal Kombat Kano style, and the cherry on top, that second child Ragyo had that was thought to be lost, it was actually Ryuko. There it is. And there it is. So Ichiro Kiryuin, who was uh, Satsuki's father and Ragyo's husband, had faked his own death, went under the new identity of Ishin Matoi in order to raise Ryuko, whom he saved, and prepare his revenge against Ragyo. Ryuko is Ragyo's daughter and Satsuki's sister. And I remember when I first watched this, it blew my mind. I was like, oh, oh wow. Whoa. Did not see that coming. Pretty well-earned moment. It's, it's quite nice. It's very well-deserved. And so the covers completely take over and capture the students and citizens. And we're so completely boned. How boned? Super boned. End of the world time. <laughs> And who would have guessed that evil tuxes would be the end of it all? Uh, yeah, I would have 
I would have thought of other things, you know, maybe like, say, a virus taking over the world, but nope, close. Ah, uh, if only we had listened to the film Meet the Robinsons. <laughs> it would have been artic- articles of clothing. They always come back to bite us in the end. Disney was warning us, and it wasn't just a mediocre movie. <laughs> and this brings us to the next arc, the nudist beach arc, as a month has passed since the takeover and everything has gone to hell. Covers have completely overrun Japan, Ryuko is in a coma, and Satsuki is being held captive by Ragio. I'm almost, remi- I'm almost reminded of, like, uh, wait a second. It- what angle is it? Fuck, I, rem- I forgot what angle was going to go for. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, how about this, how about this? Okay. <laughs> in a world where starch is the only weapon you can use against the enemy, clothing has taken over mankind. What will humanity do? <laughs> in a world <laughs> where dry cleaners are the only hope you can rely on <laughs> one group will stand above the other new to speech rated R I mean you give me material like this of course I'm gonna run with it yeah I'll watch that movie and we see that the Elite Four has joined up with new to speech and I have to say uh, the Elite Four and the new speech gear A plus stuff yeah all things considered they, they rock it there's not much to really rock, according to Nudist Beach's attire. And inspiring a lot of uh, cosplayers the world over, it, giving them some new ideas for uh, what to do during con weekends. It almost re- it almost reminds me of, like, um, like, uh, like um, what's her name? Quiet from, like, uh, Metal Gear Solid. Yeah, almost. yeah, Quiet from Phantom. I, when I look at them, too, I almost imagine, like, uh, Snake, too, and, like, the and, like Quiet, <laughs> Quiet's outfit a little bit. I'm kind of reminded of that a little bit. Oh yeah, funny thing is, you can actually, like, do missions in Phantom Pain with, like, no clothes at all, so you can basically run around as, like, nudist beach. So you can, like, ride in, ride in it up and stuff, and just do combat naked? Pretty much, if you want to. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Any naked cartwheels, though? Uh, no naked cartwheels, but, uh, naked somersaults. <laughs> Even, hey, I'll take it. <laughs> But uh, we get, like, some scenes in, the, like, the News Beach headquarters, and I love the scenes with Mikisugi as well. Everyone's getting preparing and prepping. He's just, like, being all serious and playing these scenes straight, you know, talking about what they need to do. And yet his clothes just start slowly falling off, and the camera just starts zooming in and paying extra close attention to his ass and crotch. It's, it's, it's a good gag for this character, like, given, all, given that they've exhausted that type of humor before and they had to find a new way to spin it, so... This is a good spin. And I love how it's glowing. Like, you have this big purple glow <laughs> where his crotch is. And then in another scene with Mako's parents, as he's uh, talking to them, saying that uh, they'll do what they can to save Mako, we see that uh, Mama Mankanshok is just casually staring at his penis here. And I remember that getting some of the biggest laughs out of me as they're, they're just talking, and then you just see her just slowly go, uh... Huh. Nice. <laughs> Just sneaking a little glance. Taking a little glance, maybe thinking of comparing that to uh, her husband's. Uh, he, he's like a piece of artwork. It's like it's it's like the point of perspective just draws your eyes directly towards it. It's like he's just molded by like Michelangelo or something. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, well, I wouldn't go so far as Michelangelo because you could at least like draw your eye to elsewhere, you know. But in his <laughs> case, though, it's like everything just leads to this one point. It's like you can't not stare at it. It's like a void. It's like it just goes to it. 
and should mention in the middle of all of this uh, dexterity, we do get some uh, really sweet moments, such as Sanket's being worried about Ryuko, and even though uh, she can't understand what he's saying, Mama Mankanchok is there to comfort him, and she even gives him a big hug, and I thought that was really cute. She's like, I don't understand what you're saying, piece of clothing, but I'll still hug you like you're like you're like you're a person. You know, you're you're Ryuko's Sunday best. I gotta care for you. <laughs> And also an even sweeter moment as Gamagori vows to the Mankanchoks that they will that he will save Mako at all costs. And I'm like, huh, I'll take that as a proposal. Every time, every time a little moment like that happens with Gamagori and Mako, I'm just like, oh, I just just add more fuel to the ship, ship it to the moon. And then meanwhile, we get another awkward scene between Ragyo and Satsuki. Huh, call it a hunch, but I bet you can find a scene like this on uh, Clips for Sale. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> it's time to start saving some people, and Gamagori does this with his new weapon, which is something straight out of, like, the Big O. Like, it, it looks exactly like the Big O is, like, a big, giant robot fist. Yeah, yeah, because, like, how does it operate again? It, like, sucks in, like, the evil clothing. Like, almost, like, spin-dries them a little bit and just, like, expels them. Yeah, it spin-dries them, and then it just pops out the uh, the person inside of it. Uh, Neat little design. I like that. I love it. And all that was missing for him to go is to say, Cast in the name of God, ye not guilty! And he ends up saving Mako and making good on his promise, though he can't bring himself to look at her as she's naked at the moment. You know, he's he's being very polite, and it's also very cute to see him just, like, casually trying not to look while also being all blushy and stuff. Although it's it's moments like these that point out that um, the, the other Leaf Four are not really mined for as much uh, humor during these parts, though. Yeah. Yeah, I wish they could. That's one thing I wish they could have done here, looking back. You know, the, the Elite Four, like, they're great in combat moments, the other three. But, like, it seems like Gamagori is, like, around this area is, like, the only one they really care to mine a lot of humor out of. Though I do know that uh, right before the final battle, we do get some humorous moments from the Elites. Right, right. We do at least get that little moment. I just wish that was a little more consistent from this uh, section of the story. So Ryuko eventually wakes from her month-long coma, and Senkets is happy to see her, but the feeling isn't mutual. Ryuko turns on Senkets as the knowledge of being a life fiber experiment has caused her to hate all life fibers, including him. And it was actually kind of heartbreaking, seeing how they go went through all this this big journey together, and then she's just all like, I hate you, I'm a monster, and I don't want to even look at you. Like, I am made of life fibers, I hate myself. The anger and the vitriol coming out of Ryuko's mouth here, like, done exceptionally well by Erica Mendez. It's just like, ah, you can you can just feel the hatred, and it's like, it's good, but it's also really, really sad. Wait, wait, I think I have another bit. I think I have another bit. Oh, wait, oh. I'm synthesizing it. I'm trying to synthesize it. Fuck, name a clothing brand? Name, name a clothing brand. Um, um, uh, uh, d- 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 uh, Chanel? Chanel? Chanel, okay, I'll go with it. Um, Ryuko's just like, same cats? I never thought I'd say this, but I, w- I wish I had worn Chanel clothing. Take it back. Chanel, take it back! Chanel! <laughs> I can't believe you. You'd go in for that clothing brand of a lady who spied for the Nazis. <laughs> Actually true, Coco Chanel spied for the Nazis. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bet you didn't know that. <laughs> Fun fact. Uh, Ryuko, you're down a black pit. Thank you for that material. <laughs> yes, anytime. 
So while this is going on, the rest of the gang find out from watching Satsuki through a security camera that she is planning something. She was able to escape by slicing through her chains with a sharpened with her uh, sharpened toenails, which were actually pieces of Bakuzan that she. So basically, she had this whole thing planned out that she was going to be sharpening her nails, and then once the time is right, she'll slice through her chains and then make a break for it. Like she's always prepared for everything. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what don't you have on your person did she have like a pink did she have a backup pinky finger with like the metal on it did she have like some kind of invisible bat belt or something <laughs> uh. and this allows her to meet up with the elites and nudist beach as they reconvene on nudist beach's battleship the naked soul which is totally just Digerin. yeah pretty much <laughs> well then, again where's its influences on sleep Back with Ryuko, she walks alone and is coaxed into returning to Honoji Academy to confront Ragyo and Nui. Ryuko arrives and takes on Nui, who is also revealed to have a life fiber body. Ragyo then ensnares Ryuko and forces her to wear Junkets, starting to rewrite her memories and chalk up another creepy scene from Ragyo here. Just being rewired into a super soldier, just having no remorse. No remorse, just thinking that Ragyo was this wonderful, loving mother who's done everything for her, and then now Ryuku is going to pay back that so-called kindness by getting revenge for her. Triggers ver It's like Trigger's version of gaslighting. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> this all leads into Ryuko transforming with Junkets and planning to attack Nudis Beach. But right before she does, she gives Nui a good luck kiss. And if you ever want to get over how much Ryuko has lost her way at this point, then having her kiss her father's killer is the way to do it. And she even basically does the whole uh, samurai cop thing, you know, keep it warm for me. And since Ryuko is wearing Junkets, then it's only natural we have Lady Satsuki wear Senkets. And I have no doubt during the early days of the series, fans were speculating, you know, just doing little uh, ideas going like, well, what would happen if Ryuko and Satsuki swapped Kamuis? And then Studio Trigger was like, no need for speculation. We got you covered. Like we were do that originally anyway, so we got you, fam. We got you. And during this fight, we see that Junkets covers more of Ryuko's body than it did with Sa when Satsuki wore it. And it's at this point we finally get a kayfabe reason as to why the uh, Kamuis are so skimpy. The life virus will completely take over your body free and also your free will if it covers your entire body. So you need to find a middle ground where it covers you, but not a whole lot. So you can still have control over the Kamui. And the explanation. That is the explanation. And it's, and it's it, that, the, that the animators themselves came up with themselves. And that uh, is totally, it is totally the rational uh, explanation within the universe. I'm sorry, but like, <laughs> this is still one of those things where it's like, yeah, 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 you, you, you explain away why you had to have your <laughs> character in a skimpy outfit. <laughs> we gotcha, we gotcha. I'm sorry, it's like, I'm just, I, like, I, I know these things, like, I know these explanations and stuff. I know they just want, you know, they just want to have the rationalization and stuff, but. I know, whatever, you know, we, we get cool shit out of it. Yeah, I mean, I'll take this reason over no reason at all. Right, right. Like, I'll take it. So Satsuki tries to bring Ryuko to her senses, and even the Elite Four join in on the fight, but it looks to be fruitless as Nui arrives to tell them that she stitched Junkets to Ryuko's body, and if they try to remove it, then it'll rip her to shreds and kill her. Then, Mako tries to reason with Ryuko. Senkets puts himself onto her to protect her, creating an opening for Mako and Senkets to dive inside her body. And they manage to convince Ryuko not to lose her way by doing the classic interrupt the wedding ceremony trick you see in movies. And then 
we get the big moment where Ryuko finally comes back to her senses, just ripping off Junkets, and it's just so it's so visceral. You just see blood flying over everywhere. She's just screaming, going like, I want this thing off of me. And everyone's like, no, you'll kill yourself. He's like, I don't care. Get this thing the hell off. The moment is Ryuko finally comes to her senses. And then we get the great bit where Ryuko reunites with Senkets, battles Nui, and manages to get both scissor blades. And then we have the great part where she cuts off Nui's arms. And then Nui's just freaking out because she managed to cut all the threads so that she can't even reattach her arms and she's just spewing blood out of both of her armholes. Yeah, for a character that is for a character that was treated so evilly before and so seriously, this felt like a great moment for the animators to just give a fuck you to her and just be like, no, like in, in your defeat right here, you get no dignity. Your just arms just like fall off like a cartoon and you're just spraying blood. I just love like the arms just like fly up and you just hear a little boop sound and then Ryuko just steps on one and she's like oops steps on another one oops again and they just like explode into life fibers <laughs> uh great great way to handle a little bit of a, a slight downfall here for the character and i do like the animation on Nui's face as she's just freaking out going i hate you 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 so much and like just the harsh lines and just the extreme close-up on her face i thought that was really good and so Ho'omaru arrives to retrieve Nui as Ragyo needs her to complete her final project. While Nui does her thing, Ragyo sets into motion her side of the plan, which is to transmit the primordial life fiber signal across the Earth, absorbing all human beings into massive life into a massive life fiber cocoon called the Starseed Cocoon Sphere to cover the entire planet. This is a big dumb anime plot. A big dumb anime stuff that we've that uh, we also kind of saw a little bit with like anti spirals and currently gone a little bit. It's it's the bread and butter of uh of you know these of the school of Gainax, you know. Yeah, no, yeah. Big dumb, an- big dumb anime stuff that like completely encompasses the world, you know. You know, something you just watch and like you see it, you laugh, but you go, but at the same time you go, oh, this is gonna be fun though. Yes, so fun. Meanwhile, we get a great scene where Satsuki offers to let Ryuko punch her in the face as a way to pay her back for everything she's done to her throughout the series, and I'll splice it in because I thought this was really, really good. What shall I do with Junkets? Keep it restrained. Shouldn't you terminate that thing? No, the battle isn't over yet. Oh, you're gonna put that thing on again, huh? You think you can control it? Yes, as a matter of fact, I do. Yeah, good luck with that. You couldn't even sink with Senkets. Stop harassing her, Ryuko. Remember, she risked her life to save you. So what if she did? You think I'm just gonna forget all about the attitude she's given me? What do you want? Let me belt you one. Stop it, Ryuko. If I punch you with everything I got and can't knock you down, I'll know you got what it takes to fight alongside me. God, that's the craziest thing I ever heard. All she's wearing is a coat and you're in full-on sync mode. One hit from you and she's dead. You're forgetting something. She's the great Satsuki Kiryuin. Very well. Do it. We face Ragyo Kiryuin. And if I fall to you, then I have no chance of beating her. Go on, hit me. I shall withstand it. Keep telling yourself that. We'll find out in a sec. Get ready. This is between me and her! 
my god, what's with you people? Is that the best you can do, Montoy? What? Did you put everything you had into that punch? Because it didn't feel like it! Yeah, of course I did! <laughs> if you did, then why are we still alive? He's right. If you really hit us full force, it should have killed us. I pulled my punches because you dorks got in the way! That's no excuse! It shouldn't matter who gets in your way! Such lack of commitment proves you are not worthy to punch Lady Satsuki! Screw you! I'm committed! Doesn't look like it from where I'm standing. Lady Satsuki's got standards, and we don't let half-ass punches touch her! Step aside. I have this. You want to punch her face? Punch ours first! You want to chop her arms off? Chop ours off first! We're the face and limbs of Lady Satsuki, and we take the hits for her! Although us limbs have a mind of our own, and we can be quite a handful. Hanoji's Elite Four are Lady Satsuki's invincible spear, her tough-ass shield. If you want to strike Lady Satsuki, strike us! But be warned, we will not yield so easily! God, what's your problem? You guys are all freaking nuts! You got batshit crazy people protecting you, just like I do. <laughs> it seems that way, doesn't it? I had to defeat Ragyo, and I thought the only way I could was if I used others as my pawns. So naturally, I thought I could use you in the same manner. Since the day you appeared wearing Senkets, my goal has been to train you as an asset to turn against Ragyo and her allies. I told you I killed our father, because I wanted to gauge your and Senkets' power. If you could hold on to your free will without being swallowed up by your Kamui, you could prove useful when it came time for the coup. And I thought if I kept the truth from you, I could control you better as a weapon against Ragyo. Thanks, bitch. Treating you like a fool was a mistake. In the end, I was using the same methods as Ragyo. I should have known I could never win that way. If anyone here is a fool, it's me. No, don't say that. I understand now. People are not cut from the same cloth. And no matter how odd they may seem, their differences make this world beautiful. Our world is worth protecting, and I'd be honored to share the task with you. Even your apologies are turned up to 11. I don't feel like hitting you anymore. I got folks I want to protect too. So if you want to team up to pull mom's plug, I got no problems with that. And in the end, Ryoko doesn't feel like she needs to punch Satsuki as she sees how they're alike in a way in that they both have people they care about and support them. And so, later that night, the final assault begins as everyone gets brand new Goku uniforms, including Mako, who gets to be Fight Club Mako again. It's just one last little gift to the fans, just like, we know you're going to love Fight Club Mako, we'll give it to you one more time. I love that they also didn't forget about the president of the Taylor Club, too, that he's the one who's making all these, too, so they give him, they give him his neat, um, neat little uh, transformation sequence so that he can, like, have a better costume that lets him, like, pump out tons of, uh, tons of Goku uniforms. Yeah, and also it was actually a really cool costume where he has, like, these kind of almost Doc Ock-like tentacles to, like, help him sew all these uniforms. Yeah, because he's kind of like the fifth member of the Elite Four, you know, so I I'd like that they didn't forget about him. Yeah, an unofficial Elite member. 
and Ryuko and Satsuki lead the charge against Ragyo, and I like the bit where Ryuko tries to call Satsuki sis, and it's pretty cute, like, she just can't bring herself to do it because it's a little awkward, but then Satsuki tells her she doesn't have to do it if she doesn't want to. She can feel the connection between the both of them. I think she was just like, please don't make this more awkward than it already is. We used to, we were trying to kill each other about, like, a few weeks ago. <laughs> Ryuko, please don't make this weird. Uh. Right, sis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're at the finale, the home stretch as the final battle begins, and it's all just so, so cool. Ryuko and Satsuki are fighting side by side in a sick air battle with Ragyo, while the naked soul, Mako, the Elite Four team up to fight uh, the covers and release all the captured students, which in turn builds their army up, you know? Like, they, they Trigger really knew how to ramp up the uh, action in these final scenes here. In these final moments of the series. Yeah, like as we've seen in Gurren Lagan and also we'll soon see in uh, Ima Ishii's later work, he knows how to really pull off a big final battle where all the characters we've met up to this point plays some form of some role and it feels like the culmination of this big journey. Like everyone does their part to finally bring an end to the big bad of the series. It's such great bravas he gives to it all as well. Just excellent. And the end to this part of the battle comes when Ryuko comes up with a plan to catch Ragyo off guard. She allows herself to get cut in half by Ragyo, but not completely, as so long as one third remains uncut, then Ryuko can reattach her body. So, you know, she learned that from Ragyo since she did that before. And this allows her to sneakily fly into the primordial life fiber and give it a seni so sheets from the inside. Also, during this, Mako uses her sheer willpower along with the support of the other Hanoji Academy students to power up the naked soul by running in this big giant hamster wheel to launch it like a dagger to split through the primordial life fiber, giving Ryuko that extra push to slice it. It's always willpower that guides Gainax and trigger protagonists. And it's a, it gives me vibes of like, uh, remember that one Dexter's Lab episode where they fight the big axe kaiju and at the end, Monkey breaks into the giant robot to give Dexter and the family extra power to beat it? Shit, did I legit forget that part in that episode? <laughs> oh man, it's like one of the best episodes. I feel ashamed because I know almost everything Dexter, Dexter's lab will be. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you gotta know this. Well, you just you just reminded me I gotta brush up on my work. Yeah, I think the episode's called Last But Not Beast. Oh, oh no, I know the episode. It's just the one single moment I don't remember. Okay, you gotta, gotta rewatch that. Yeah, gotta refresh my memory. And with the primordial life fiber destroyed, it's time to head to Hanoji Academy for the final, final confrontation as Nui has completed her final creation. The ultimate Kamui, Shinra Koketsu, which Ragyo wears while using Ho'omaru as a power source for the Kamui, with Ryuko and the others prepared to settle things once and for all. Ragyo uses Shinra Koketsu's power of absolute submission to negate the effects of everyone else's life fibers, which means they're powered down and can't move. But Ryuko gets past this by taking off Senkets, but she still isn't strong enough to take out Nui and Ragyo. And then during this, we get this moment where uh, Mako tries to help, but Nui tries to kill her, but is blocked by Gamagori protecting Mako. He cares about her so much that he's willing to give up his life. And it's, yeah, it's so sweet, but it was sad at the time. And I'm just like, ah, come on. Thank you for giving me this. I will, I will give special uh, credit here, at the very least, to the uh, final costumes of the Elite Four, uh, looking like some of the best versions of they've had uh, so thus far in the series, uh, taking almost inspiration from uh, not just like their nudist beast, nudist, nudist beach costumes, but also uh, Ryuko's consistent design in the series as well. I, like, I find that to be a nice little detail. Also, black and gold is like a really good color combination. Oh, yeah. It pops out. 
in such gorgeous ways. And so all hope looks to be lost as Ragia revives the primordial life fiber to fuse everyone with it. And it looks like it's all over until Senkets flies in by himself, even turning into a drill. Another callback, piercing Ragio's heavens. Because <laughs> of course. And uh, he pierces her heavens with his drill body, knocking Ho'omaru out of Shinra Koketz, ragdolling her on the ground, thus restoring everyone's power. Wait, wait, wait to pull that, wait to pull that uh, drill inspiration, Senkets. You know, kick logic to the curb and pierce the heavens with your drill. That's the way uh, Team Daigeron rolls. And uh, Senkets was able to move like Ryuko as they are both. They both come to the realization that they are neither human nor clothes, and that cancels out Shinra Koket's absolute submission. And so the satellite uplink Ryuko planned on using is destroyed, but she's not done yet as Ryuko has Nui combined with the remains of the primordial life fiber, and then with her enabling her to launch into space, where she activates the satellite manually, covering the world in the Star Sea cocoon sphere, and then we see like. Uh, people all over the world because apparently Revox has 100% domination of the clothes market in the entire world, thus causing everyone to turn into like these life fiber cocoons. Bought out every other brand, including those fuckers at Old Navy, <laughs> <laughs> to control the world. Rakia, you are an ambitious woman. I wonder if Revox clothes are like really cheap, you know, like so people can be like, ah. This is good price. I pay for this. Why can I? I can get uh, Revox brand jeans over Wrangler style jeans at a much cheaper price, and they feel much better. <laughs> You've heard of taking advantage of sweatshops. Now, now we've gone beyond sweatshops. Now we just revert to good old fashioned wage slavery to get our clothing out there. So you get the cheapest clothes. It's the, the whole system just works. Okay? It just works. <laughs> And then all of this leads to an excellent finale as everyone gives Ryuko their uniforms and life fibers, which powers her and Senkets up to basically almost supersonic levels to have one big final fight with Ragyo, calling it uh, Senkets Kisaragi. But before she leaves, we get one last Mako Hallelujah as she asks Ryuko on a date. You know, she wants to shop for clothes, eat ice cream and cheese and all sorts of date stuff. And if you listen closely, you can hear Gamagordi shitting himself in anger as Mako basically did the Amelia's the one I love to him. Uh, but uh, don't worry, Gamagori, Rem knows how you feel. You aren't alone. <laughs> and once again, Imaishi really digging deep into the Gurren Lagan playbook as this is basically the kill-a-kill version of the final fight between Simone and the Anti-Spiral. Like, Ryoko even does a variation of Simone's big speech and the opening theme is blaring in the background and it's still me just like marking out to like both of these scenes like all that was missing was just a big old eat this never good old space fight just punching through like fate itself you know wouldn't have asked for a bet wouldn't have asked for a better could use more of uh throwing galaxies at each other but who needs that when you've got literally just like turning into like angels made of life fiber to like just spear each other you know and then we have ryuko forming Completing the uh, the rending scissors and then trying to chop uh, Ragio in half, Snipper in half. And this ends when Senkets absorbs Shinra Koketz and eliminates all the life fibers in the world by telling everyone that people are people and clothes are clothes. <laughs> the revelation of a lifetime that the series comes to. <laughs> or that Senkets comes to. So what you're saying is, people are people and clothes are clothes. And also, a cat is not a dog.
brilliant. Hey, but you know what? You know what? You can still love clothes. You can still love clothes like anyone else. Because Ryuko, sadly by the end, it looks like she may be losing a friend of hers. Yeah. And so the series comes to a close as Ragyo kills herself because she refuses to surrender. And Senkets uses the last of his remaining strength to safely return Ryuko to Earth. But in doing so, he ends up dying as he burns up in the atmosphere. And Ryuko is caught by Satsuki and everyone as they all enjoy a victory naked cuddle puddle. All with their, like, featureless doll bodies. That's the, that's the moment of the show where I'm like, oh my god, we, we, this, the secret of the secret of the whole show, the big twist, the big YouTube, like, like, twist video <laughs> is that they're all featureless dolls. This is the big galaxy brain moment. Everyone has a Barbie and Ken doll anatomy. <laughs> Who could have seen this coming? Not anyone. Not even game theory. <laughs> and while this is the end of the main series, there is an epilogue in the form of an OVA. In short, the OVA just gives us one last goodbye and thank you to the world of Kill a Kill. As we have uh, Maru try to get revenge for Ragyo's defeat, but in the end, she's convinced to surrender peacefully as she comes to terms with Ragyo's death and decides to sever ties with her and become her own person. One last little course of Kill a Kill. You know, we get one final shot of Ryuko using the rending scissors one last time to save the day, as it's called, uh, Seni Soshit's graduation mode. And then everyone bids farewell to Hanoji Academy as it sinks to the bottom of the sea. Everyone graduates and moves on to the next chapter in their lives. Ryuko then takes comfort from Mako, knowing that Senkets will always be with her. And so ends Studio Trigger's first anime series. Final thoughts. Yeah, damn fine series. Like, damn fine to be debut for uh, Studio Trigger, by far. At least as far as um, anime goes. Yes, they, they put out a fantastic job here. And also, a very bold one, too, because I'm sure they would have... I'm sure they must have had to have predicted that, like, we're making a series as wild as this with as much, like, <laughs> like nudity and stuff as this. Uh, quite the bold... The fact that they went with this... Such a bold, like, brash anime like this for their first, like, official, like, anime series. That, that's such a fascinating statement to me that, like, like, we're just, we're just gonna, we're just gonna give you, well, in, in one way, I think, I think it's an incredible work to start out with, but also one that I think is that is one in which, like, I think Trigger could potentially see as we will see as we go through uh, the summer of Trigger, I feel like this is also like such a high bar for them. Yeah, like first outing, and we get we get basically a series that I would say is probably one of my all-time favorite anime of all time. Like I would go as far as to say this is up there with Stein's Gate for me. This series was so fantastic uh, and incredibly well done. Now, now I wouldn't put it as one of my best. I mean, it's certainly one of the most gorgeous ones so far but um you know i i would say it just comes up slightly just because of like some small elements that like uh you know don't feel as like well explored a little bit um or even some like some like jokes that just don't hit as well in the past you know but um no in general it's it's an anime i have quite a lot of respect for. like i, I like I, I will always have respect for kill a kill and the sheer creative uh vision and force behind it the it's it's that unbreakable 
brash spirit, almost like punk rock. You know, it's like that's that's one way. That's one way I describe Kill a Kill. It's like a punk rock magical girl anime, <laughs> <laughs> and it's that philosophy that they uh, you know pulled from the ashes of Gainax and you know planted here to bring into the future. And for that, I will always have love and stuff. Oh yeah, and also punk rock is like probably one word one word i would use to describe trigger as a whole because you look at this and you look at some of their later works after this it's like nothing it's not really it's so unique it's not something that you'd see from any other studio this is so soul solely trigger doing their own thing because they think it's cool and because they want to share it with the rest of the world right and it and it's and it's also um one it's also it's also uh, an ethos that i think uh, as we will see later on, um, I know this is going ahead a little bit. I think it is a, bit, a little bit of an ethos that I think they will find uh, is a bit of a double-edged sword because you know, again, such a high bar setter, but uh, one in which, like, I, I feel like I feel like they will uh, find trouble with some people in the future trying to hit that bar again as they uh, try out some other works as well and try out some uh, try out some some various different directions. As they progress forward as a suit. Yeah, because I will admit, uh, there may be some shows later on where, like, I feel like they were trying to go for the feel of Kill a Kill or Gurren Lagan again, and it kind of either works or it doesn't work to a varying degree, depending on who you are. But you can tell that like this does ha have a big influence on uh, what they're going to be doing going forward. Ever since this came out, for better or for worse, definitely. Yeah, a fine, uh, still a fine one to start. Oh yeah, like. If this is your like your first anime series, then you can totally tell that your studio is going to be super fine. You know, you don't need Gainax. You guys are Studio Trigger. You're your own thing, and you're going to be doing this for years to come. It it is like the ex-military album of Death Grips. Like like first album, very first song sets sets the entire like mentality, ethos, and approach going forward. Uh, for that artist, for uh, for that artist, and for the studio, you know, it is it is to that good of a degree here. And also, I got to mention one of the best English dubs I've ever heard. Like, it still holds up even after what six years later, since it came out in 2014. Just everyone nails their roles. Like, the adapted script has just some really great writing, some questionable lines here and there that haven't aged well, but for the most part, like some of the best directing, writing, and acting. So. Props to everyone at Bang Zoom Entertainment, the cast, and also Alex Von David. You guys really knocked this one out of the park. Good job, guys. And thank you, everyone, for listening to the first episode of Summer of Trigger. This has been your host, Mikey. You can just find me at my social medias at MikeyShow on Twitter, MikeyShow.tumble.com, and MikeyShow on the gram. And where can we find you, Ryan? Find me at WolfishGrin on Twitter and WolfishGrin on Tumblr. And follow the show's Twitter at Anime underscore Bebe, Anime underscore B-A-Y. B-A-Y. Also, you can find us at animebebe.podbean.com and also anywhere you can find your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Google Play, any podcast apps you may have on your phone or iPad or what have you, and make sure to leave us a rating, leave a review, whatnot, and also, you and also if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, send them to animebebepod at gmail.com. That's animebebepod at gmail.com. And so, next time on Summer of Trigger, we move on to a series that, well, I guess you could say this is also part of Studio Trigger's humble beginnings, as we will be taking a look at the anime series, Little Witch Academia. 
another that I love for like, all, like in some ways equal but also different uh, reasons, like Kill a Kill, but that is that is in many ways much the same, but like al almost like a, almost like another facet of Trigger and ways in which I think they uh, are very smartly uh, in a way in which they have sort of uh, found another way to make their uh, their animation ethos palatable to everyone. Yeah, it's another show that really carries that Studio Trigger charm we'll come to know and love throughout uh, this summer. All of you, get ready for that. The magic is on its way. A magical good time. Eat shit, Harry Potter. And also fucking dick around. <laughs> yeah, ex expect, expect some uh, shitting on Harry Potter on my end. Mostly J.K. Rowling. <laughs> no, J.K. and Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, but they're, they're adjacent to each other. <laughs> but until then, thanks again for listening. Remember to stay safe out there, wear a mask, wash your hands, adhere to social distancing, Black Lives Matter, defund the police, and we'll see y'all next time. And until then, this has been Anime, Anime Baby! baby.